Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do. We talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these, no matter how long ago that is. Yeah. I'm David. I'm Tyler. David, how you doing? I haven't seen you in forever. Yeah, we have not been, uh, we start, we haven't done a movie journal in over a month. Yeah. And we haven't done an episode together of, of the regular, sh- the you know, the, what do we call it? The, the main show. Yeah. Um, the real show. The real show. I don't give a shit what these listeners for, um, say that they prefer the movie journal. Yeah. Um, for three weeks, we haven't done an episode together. So, yeah, yeah. I have not seen uh, hide nor hair, hide nor hair of you. That's a saying, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. I have not seen hide nor hair of you. Which is odd because I shaved all the, all yeah. my body hair. <laughs> and so um, I wanted to surprise you, David. But let's, we do have a bunch of stuff to talk about. Not as much as I would have thought. But part part of the reason we weren't doing these episodes is because I was in Mexico for a while, right. and then I was at WonderCon, yeah. and I've just had a lot of stuff going on, and uh, I haven't watched as many movies um, as I normally would in a in a five week or whatever span of time. Um, so you've got more movies than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna get started in just a second. I do want to say on a sad note, yeah, I do want to make mention. There's a a movie that Tyler and I uh, love. We have since uh, become friends with the directors and the star yeah it's called entrance from 2012 um where we did the commentary on the dvd uh and one of the stars of that movie is a dog named daryl and uh daryl is no longer with us and i i find that very sad it's uh uh, he is such an uh, such an emotional crux of the movie boy that uh i did when when i saw on Susie's instagram that uh um, that he'd passed. I, I did feel, I, I've been feeling very bummed about it today. Yeah. It's, it is a, it's a very sad thing. And it's something that, uh, years ago, I don't think I, I, before I had pets, I don't think I understood how big of a deal it was for a, uh, an animal to, to die and the emotional impact it could have. But I am aware that Charlie is getting older mm. and he, he'll probably be around for a number of years, but at the same time, it's like, oh, he's getting older. Like, there's going to be a day when Charlie's not here. And yes, we have another cat, but the attitudes are, you know, personalities are very different. Yeah. And I just feel like the day's going to come when Charlie's not around anymore. And the con- the thought of it makes me well up. And uh, yeah. and so, yeah, Daryl being gone, and he did play a big role in the film. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was uh, he really did cheer up the main character and the audience, David. Yeah. Yes, that's true. So, R.I.P. Daryl. Um, let's get started. All right. What did you watch? David, here's what I'm going to do. Uh-huh. I'm going to I'm gonna throw you for a loop. I don't like that. I'm going backwards. <laughs> I don't know what you I'm mean. starting, starting with, with the most recent, recent film, and I'm right. going backwards. I wish you hadn't told me that. Why? Does that bother you? <laughs> uh, no, actually, it doesn't. Okay. It's uh, not so, how I would do things. I know, but and it's not how I would normally do things, but I feel like, you know, I'm feeling kind of loose. Uh, I'm going to do what I want to do, and you can't tell me what to do, Dad. Um, so, Okay. <laughs> Wait, what? What's going on? Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so um, next uh, next week for more than one lesson, we are talking about the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, which we have already uh, recorded the episode about. Um, so I watched the first Lord of the Rings film, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. And there's not much to say that we didn't say on a uh, commentary that is available for $10 um, at BattleshipRetention.com. But uh, no, it's not the ten dollars gets you ten dollars gets you all three all three movies absolutely yeah. Um, yeah and obviously I'm now an hour into uh, the two towers because uh-huh. this is a very good I'm so aware with, uh, of the films I'm so familiar with the films that I that I um, 
I throw I can throw them in while I'm working and everything's fine. Uh, and they kill a full week of working. Um, <laughs> not a full week, obviously. That's not true. I work more than uh, 12 and a half hours a week. Um, so, uh, so I'll just watch them like four times. Um, yeah, boy, do I still love these movies. Um, there's a, there's a, a cheesiness factor that the more I watch the film, the more it doesn't necessarily make me cringe, but it's more as like, yeah, all right, come on guys. It, it more has to do with that. Like there's a, there's a certain self seriousness to certain characters. Um, one thing bother that bothers me is uh, pronunciation of names. Did I talk about this in the commentary? I am. Um, maybe I might have, okay. I know I've probably said it to you at some point. Um, and just like Mordor, just say it. All right. But it's like Mordor, like they they like roll, but they don't roll their tongues like that. They're just like, okay, we all have to stop. With like the 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 flow of the scene needs to stop <laughs> so that they can roll their R's when they say Mordor. Oh, so bothersome. Um, but there are see, there but there are cultures here on regular Earth. You that, know what? That have those pronunciations? No question about it. And were this regular Earth, it would be quite insensitive for somebody to <laughs> breeze past that. However, it is Middle Earth. Mordor doesn't actually exist, and Peter Jackson can say, "Hey, uh, I've noticed that the film comes to a screeching halt anytime somebody <laughs> says Mordor." So you know what? We're going to pronounce it differently, and uh-huh. I don't care if the if the the fans of the book are going to be angry. But uh, but nonetheless, uh, Did the book have a pronunciation guide. I don't know, okay. but I'm going to say yes. Right. <laughs> Just a hunch. Um, so uh, I would say Tokyo wrote in the area of 40,000 pages about Middle <laughs> Earth at some point. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I still love these movies. I love the, the characters. There are moments that are that will always be powerful. Um, and the world that is created is one that I feel like i can just i can step into and in some cases i as you know i have stepped into it and walked around right. in a hobbiton and stuff like that but nonetheless uh and that first film especially that's really I think, the best one i think as time has gone on I'm, i've moved from the first from the second film to the first film as far as my I favorite because that, that first one is a lot more tangible yeah i yeah i think that's a big part of it i think when i was um college age when it really first came out i just liked the battle of Helm's deep so much, yeah. uh, cause it's a big battle. Um, and, and that, uh, swayed me toward the two towers. But yeah, when we did our, our commentaries, even with the sound off and the subtitles yeah. on, uh, I really found myself preferring the first one. Yeah. There's real, there's real power in, in that first one. And when you look at just the trilogy, the original trilogy and then the Hobbit trilogy, even though there's a lot, there's a lot of CG in the second and third in two towers and return of the King. Um, everything about it still felt very tangible and lived in. I, like I said, I feel like I could have step, I could step into the Mm -hmm. screen. I got none of that with the Hobbit. Like only occasionally did I feel like I could do that. But for the most part, I felt it at arm's length from it. So, um, so I'm going to, so, you know, the next time we do a movie journal, I'm probably going to have the two towers and return of the King on there, but uh, fellowship, I think five weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I do think fellowship is, is my, is my favorite though. All right. What's next? Next is a very different film from Lord of the Rings. It is Yorgos Lanthimos's, I don't know if that's how you say it, uh, The Lobster. I've seen this. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, okay. I, I saw it at, I at, at, at Sundance. Okay. Um, at the Sundance Film Festival. Now, I love this movie. Yeah. And I'm sure you can, I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. Like, so much, we've got uh, absurd humor and sad sacks. Like, everything about that is me. Um, but, 
boy, oh boy. And people in the screening room, like were laughing pretty uproariously. There's a lot of really, really strong humor in the film. Yeah. Um, but there is also a, a very definite mournful quality. Um, and I haven't written my review of it yet cause it's, it doesn't go up for uh, the, the film doesn't, isn't released for, I think another like three or four weeks. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, what the film seems to be saying about like, not merely relationships, but also just so, uh, social interactions and the way we tend to want to put them into a very specific box, uh, that no, 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 uh, you, it's like, Oh, okay. Your wife died. I'm very sorry to hear that, but it is time to move on because your grief is making me uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, and then it's, Oh, okay. You guys want to get together. What do you have in common? Um, Oh, you both have something wrong with your noses. You know, stuff like that is very funny. Um, and that, but then at the same time, it's, uh, oh, okay. We, we in this community are single and we are loners and that's all we're going to be. We're not right. going to let all these other things come in. And I think the incorporation of that is kind of thematically brilliant because it shows that even the people that appear to be countercultural, the people that say, I'm not going to conform to your, your, uh, your rules, they wind up just making their own. And, you know, as opposed to letting love and, and, and relationships, whether they be romantic or otherwise, just f- grow organically and uh, out of the the relationship of these two these two characters and i think that's that's what the i won't say what it is but the ending is something of a, a horrifying cliffhanger um and i think that's what we're meant to think about is if the if the main character does what he is contemplating then that means that they are they are uh, bending to the concept of no, no, no. You guys can only be together if you do this. If you are the same, right? Uh, as opposed to complementary. Um, and he's willing to hurt himself and hurt the relation, the relationship itself. Yeah. In order to conform to these things. Yeah. So what I, do you I just wish we, I, I wish we could talk about that last scene. I know because uh, yeah, there's certain things that as a filmmaker, I think you don't have to you don't have to put too much, uh, mustard on it as it were. Like (laughs) you could just show certain things and like, that's all the power that you need. Like that's going to get the reaction you need. I mean, because the film was willing to show so many other things Uh very overtly. Yeah. Once it even hints at this thing at the end, I mean, I said everyone in the screening room was laughing. I mean, we were all like, we were a community ourselves of cringing and moaning <laughs> right. and like, Oh, come on now. Like, yeah. uh, and, and like the, the critic next to me, uh, who is, you know, very, very polite. And th- I'm not saying this is impolite. She had, she was having a reaction, but while that possibility yeah. was going on, she's like, fuck, <laughs> it's it really, really funny. So right. I, I um, really enjoyed the lobster. Did I, you like it for the most part? Yeah. For the most part I, I did. Um, yeah. I don't have much else to say. The only okay. thing I, which I, uh, I think I tweeted about, uh, at Sundance, like sometimes I wonder when I look at this or I look at like Matt Damon and the informant, mm-hmm. I wonder sometimes do actors gain weight for a role just as an excuse to let themselves go for a couple yeah, months. Absolutely. <laughs> like, does Colin Farrell's character need to be overweight for this to work? Uh, you know, there is a quality to him. There is definitely a sad sack quality to him that I feel like if you have him, look like Colin Farrell in every way, shape and form. I think it will be less believable. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. 
All right. All right. Uh, I guess it's my turn now. And yeah. I will not be going in chronological okay. or in reverse. We'll meet in the middle. Order. It's going to be really exciting. I guess so. But I, I'm just realizing that um, I'm, we might end up talking about, uh, you might, you very well might have seen this. Okay. Um, this is how long it's been. I saw 10 Cloverfield Lane opening weekend. I, I saw it as well. I was so, going to talk about it in like an hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we can scratch that off the list. Indeed. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I um, was so, I, I I think the last time we did an episode uh, together, or, well, you know, one of the other old episodes we did mm-hmm. <laughs> a year ago, whenever, uh, <laughs> whenever this movie came out, um, no, we were talking about uh, how much I liked the uh, advertising plan no, <laughs> for Ten Cloverfield Lane and not being inundated for uh, close to a year, just uh, a couple months before it came out. Yeah. Uh, that was if that, yeah, um, yeah, you're right. It was just a little over a month. Um, so I was very, uh, I, I, w- I was positive on it um, based on that alone. Mm-hmm. And then the reviews started coming in and they were quite good. And I got so excited. Like the idea of a like effects heavy genre major studio release, yeah. you know, um, being something that gets me excited yeah. uh, these days. Um, Though it wasn't it's, necessarily sold as effects heavy. Um, yeah, but I guess I just figured. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it had a budget of like five million bucks. Uh, yeah. And it, it does have some great effects at the end. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in other ways throughout. Anyway, um, I got, I was so excited to see it and that I, um, uh, my wife and I went and saw it opening night yeah. and, uh, lived up to my expectations like i have nothing bad to say about this movie isn't it i thought it was terrific isn't it odd that what you just described is what movies used to be for us now don't get me wrong yeah like i still get excited about movies i still let myself get into movies but that idea of i've heard about this i like you didn't know about it now i feel like we know about everything yeah like months out not merely because of advertising but because we do this podcast and we kind of have to know um but yeah, the, like the days of like my junior year of uh, high school where, oh, what's this? And then, oh, the reviews are pretty good. You know what? I'm going to go see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, yeah, it was exactly like uh, seeing a movie 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, except I went to that, uh, the theater by your old place, which have you been there recently since yeah. they remodeled? Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's really nice. Yeah. And yet the prices are still low. I know. I feel like it's, they're... It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Is this some kind of tax dodge? <laughs> yeah. What's like, going on? Don't tell anybody. Yeah. I just said it on the podcast, but I didn't say what the theater was. Yeah. It's um, the Regency, obviously. Uh, yeah. Um, and I forgot what I was going to say, but uh, no. Uh, oh yeah. In terms of this, not, not, not really being aware of the movie until a month beforehand. It informed like, uh, I guess a week or so ago, the, uh, Rogue One trailer debuted. Mm-hmm. Everyone's excited for Rogue One. I did not watch it, did you? I didn't because I don't watch uh, trailers generally. But I kind of had this reaction because I'm, I think I'm excited to see Rogue One. Sure. I liked the fact that I like The Force Awakens and I like the films of, uh, who's directing that? Is that Gareth or is that someone else? I think it's Ryan Johnson. Isn't Gareth, Gareth that- Edwards is doing one of the, proper oh okay all right i i think i i got it mixed up i think i went the other way with it i could be wrong too Oh, okay but my uh my, my reaction was um like okay when does 
uh, when, when does Rogue One come out? December? I'll get excited about it by Thanksgiving. It comes out this December? Uh, yeah. I think that so. excites me. Like, I, I, I guess I just naturally assumed it was going to be 2017. So, hey, um, that's fun. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, um, we're looking at some sort of Star Wars film every December for the foreseeable future. I think that's I think that's the idea. That can be a, a great thing or a bad thing. I um, predict uh, five years out it'll eh, be a bad. You were right. It's Gareth Edwards. Hey, all right. What is the name of? So what is Ryan? So is Ryan Johnson doing a real one then? I think he's doing a real one, but I don't remember if it has a title yet. But um, I'm trying not to jump on the like the Star Wars hype wagon. I, don't get me wrong. I liked Force Awakens. I just bought it on yeah. Blu-ray. But no, you're absolutely right. It just. Um, they're movies and yeah. I will treat them like other movies and I'll get excited about them accordingly. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the story of rogue one and the cast and, uh, I guess Gareth Edwards, uh, I liked monsters, yeah. um, has me excited, but my, my feeling is I'm not going to get into this right now. Like, yeah. Uh, it will be more fun for me if I kind of just forget rogue one exists <laughs> until November. That's kind of how I treated the, the first one as you know, obviously as, I got closer. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to see it. But at the same time, like I, I tried not to, uh, cause there were so many articles being written about, Oh, I, we think this is going to happen. We think this is going to happen. It's like, I'm going to stay away from all that and just let the movie be what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I did watch the trailers cause you know, you know, gotta be, I don't live in a cave, David. I watched one trailer. Hmm. Just that. Have just you gone the one... back and watched the trailers? I think I must have. Okay. But yeah, I, um, when they showed the one at the, um, what was it? The star Wars convention. Right, What's that right. thing called? Star Wars experience celebration. It might be celebration. I think that's it. Uh, and the reaction uh, online was so huge that I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this trailer. Yeah. And I watched it. And then like they kept releasing more trailers and I was like, guys, you've, you've hit, you've hit oil. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm seeing the movie lay off. Yeah. And also <laughs> that's really one of those movies where, they didn't even need a trailer. They could have been like, hey, we're making another Star Wars movies uh, movie. It comes out in December. See you yeah. then. And yeah, then it winds um, up setting records. But anyway, uh, I guess those are my thoughts on 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> no, I, I, it's a really terrific uh, movie that's a, uh, has three great performances yeah. at, its, at its center. And it's also, it's not just performances. It's a really smart script. Um, both in terms of the way that um, the way it works narratively, the way that information is doled out and kept from you in ways that don't feel that much like a cheat. Um, But from a character point of view, it's also a really good script. And And the, and the, I know some people have had a problem with the way that it, um, the, the, the sort of turn that it takes uh, at the end that, you know, the, the scope widens quite a bit at the end of the movie. I know some people had a problem with that, but I feel like, um, both logically and sort of allegorically, yeah, it, it all fits. Yeah, I I really loved it. I and I find myself thinking about it. Uh, I mean, I saw it th- at this point a while ago. Um, and not only are the performances great, and one thing that I will say is that uh, what I like is that it's nice to it's nice to be reminded that um, that even when you think you know an actor, they can still remind they can still uh, they're still actors. You know, uh-huh. at this point, we've seen John Goodman. We're familiar with John Goodman. We think of him as kind of a lovable teddy bear, but he's an actor. He can he can change. There are things inside him that he can, sw- uh, you know, switches he can flip. And suddenly you realize, 
yeah, this, you know, John Goodman is a very large man and normally that's, that makes him seem like, oh, he's, he's a big lovable teddy bear. You know, he's a, he's a Sully from Monsters Inc. Then you realize, oh, right. He's a large man. Yeah. If he wants to hurt me, he will. (laughs) And he can. Um, so I liked that, but I will also say that, you know, the director, Dan Trachtenberg, our best friend, obviously, uh, cause we had breakfast <laughs> with him, him a, few year, a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I was so happy. For, I'm happy for him because he's, there's no question he's going to get another movie at this point. Right. Um, but also such a well-directed film, like it's claustrophobic without ever seeming, uh, I don't know, with ever like flatlining with ever, without ever just seeming repetitive. Uh, and then also, the film is to me to go back to a thing that we've talked about many, many times, uh, in regards to, uh, film school. Um, 10 Cloverfield lane is like one of the best arguments for how vital sound is Hmm. the way things echo in there, uh, is just to the point where you never quite know where someone is. If someone's coming after you, they could be, right next they could be like in the ne- in the next room over or you have plenty of time before they mm-hmm. get to you but because of the echo and because of the sound design uh the film is just perpetually threatening mm. and yeah, i i was man, go- i was really going to up the um art direction oh sure in the way that because it's a you know it's a contemporary uh i guess genre thriller uh, that has some, it's very slick in its presentation, but, um, Trachtenberg also doesn't forget to add all the textures that make it feel yeah. real. Like I, I really wish that there were like uh wizarding world of Harry Potter type thing where I could go in that bunker and just look sure. at all the board games and books and like <laughs> all this. Cause everything in there is, you can tell is like picked for a reason. Yeah. Uh, it's really great. All right. What's next for you? We, we got to move on. Next for me, uh, is, John Favreau's The Jungle Book. Oh, I'm excited about which this. Which I saw. And it is um it is very very good. It is visually gorgeous. See it in the theater if you can. See it 3D if you can. It oh, is yeah? a very very good use of 3D. All right. Um I tend to be skeptical, but there are a few standouts. To me 3D works best when when it takes place in an environment that is that there are a lot of layers to, or that it's just like a vast expanse, whether it be gravity or when they, when they did, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, retrofitted 3d for finding Nemo. And suddenly the ocean seems deeper Mm. than it ever has. Um, and with this, it's the jungle, you know, it is, you know, you look, you look through the trees and there's just more trees and more trees and you just, and it really, and the 3D just kind of pulls you in mm-hmm. and you feel like you're surrounded on all sides. And that actually speaks to the sound design as well. Um, so yeah, I do highly recommend seeing it in the theaters and seeing it in 3D. Um, you know, a lot of the character design is interesting. A lot of the vocal performances are interesting. I did not think Bill Murray was going to work out very well as Baloo. Cause I don't think of Bill Murray as having a really dynamic voice. Um, his voice, the, that's the voice of Garfield you're talking about. Yeah, I know. And I remember thinking like, yeah, that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but they do great stuff there. Uh, they 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 make some interesting. John Favreau makes some interesting choices where 
suddenly Ka the Snake, previously voiced by Sterling Holloway, um, and now voiced by Scarlett Johansson, but everything about him is suddenly very, very, very threatening and very hypnotic um, and dark. And oddly enough, uh, King Louis, the, the, the giant ape voiced by Louis Prima, Prima in the original, voiced by Walken here, and they play him like with a, a great deal of menace. And he's very frightening. And when you see how big he is and how small Mowgli is, um, it's it's it is not the fun thing that we saw in the original. Uh, there, John Favreau is doing different things with this, and then he also I'm adds excited. he also adds a story element where it toys with the idea of what what does separate us from animals. Um, there comes a moment when. Shere Khan is talking to Mowgli and he says, you have no claws, you have no teeth, you don't have any of this. But what Mowgli does have is the fact that he is a man and he has the ability to work with tools. He has the ability to, ability to reason things out. Mm-hmm. And that is what separates us. And, and I feel like that's a really interesting note to play in the film. Speaking of notes to play, I will say this. Everything I described does not lend itself to characters breaking out into song. And yet, and yet... They're, they play bare necessities. They, they, they sing that. And it's like, it's not, it's a little clunky, but I'm okay with it because they at least sow the seeds of, oh, Baloo is singing this song to himself. And then Mowgli says, hey, what's that? Mm-hmm. But then think of the, the King Louis I just described. Large, intimidating, frightening, uh-huh. ominous. Now he jumps into that I want to be like you song. And it doesn't fit at all. It seems very much like the studio said, hey, yeah. uh, kids like these songs, so let's incorporate them. Weirdly, I want to watch it more now. <laughs> like, uh, I want to see that happen. Yeah, it's really jarring. And then they actually, uh, Ka's song, um, Trust in Me, shows up uh, during the end credits, hmm. and it's beautiful and really hypnotic and, and really great. It's, it is a movie that I that I don't love. I do feel like it really shoots itself in the foot with those musical numbers, but sweet. So who, wait, who voices Ka? Uh, Scarlett Johansson. So, and she's, so she, is that her singing yes. at the end? Is it better or worse than her album of Tom Waits covers? Better. Okay. Better. Um, let's all forget. We all like Scarlett Johansson now. So let's, uh, try to forget that <laughs> that happened. I mean, I can, under- she does have a very specific kind of voice that can lend itself to a certain sultry quality. And I'm sure in her mind's like, well, I have a distinct voice. Tom Waits has a, st- a distinct voice. If I could make these more well, of like a, a lobster, they should get married. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously we can move on. All right. Um, I saw a batshit crazy movie that you got to check out. Okay. Um, and, uh, it's from, uh, 1987. It's, uh, from director Donald Camel. Um, you're asking, why do you know that name? It's because uh, uh, you and I are big fans of the movie Demon Seed. Um, oh, yeah. This is from the director of Demon Seed. Uh, it stars um, Kathy Moriarty, and um, now I'm drawing a blank. It's what happens when it's been so long. David Keith and Kathy oh, okay. Moriarty play a uh, couple in, um, I guess, Arizona, New Mexico. It's not important. Somewhere in a desert, uh, desert community. They're... Uh, seemingly happy couple um but also uh there's a string of really really grisly murders happening um all right i like where you're going with this uh <laughs> happening in in, in nearby especially nearby wealthy neighborhoods um and uh i guess 
I don't know. Technically, this is a spoiler, but it's not a spoiler because you know it from the beginning. But it does take a while to actually show it. Um, the movie is about Kathy Moriarty realizing that her husband is a serial killer and is um, insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so David Keith does play a serial killer. There is some teasing about that um, um, uh, over the course of the movie, so I feel a little bad saying it because it doesn't actually come out and say it right away, but it's it's very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not what's important. What's important is how incredibly biz- incredibly bizarre this movie is. Um, I don't know if I've said the name of it yet. Um, it's called The White of the Eye. I remember oh, okay. it to be called White of the Eye. Um, and I... I I don't know what else to say except that people should check it out. It's, um, it, it's, it's bizarre. It's, um, uh, grisly. Um, it's also beautiful. It's on, uh, I watched the, the Blu-ray, which I'll be reviewing. Um, it's very well fit for Blu-ray cause it's stunning and it's used, you know, desert, desert mm-hmm. colors and sunsets and, uh, clouds and lakes and all this stuff. Like it's, uh, it's a very, um, boldly, uh, graphic and presentational type of type of movie that is also bold in its, uh, utter weirdness. So you like two uh, movies by this guy now? Yeah. Are you curious to seek out any more? I think I am. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know he did performance, which is supposed to be good. Mm. Um, but I've never seen that one. Have you? Yeah. No, I have not. Uh, yeah. I think Demon Seed is probably the only one I've seen. But it's great. Yeah. I love it. Uh, apparently he also did um, the video for a U2 song. Hmm. Anyway. Um, yeah, so check that out. It's called uh, White of the Eye. It's available from uh, Scream Factory. Uh, oh, nice. Blu-ray. All right. Next for me is God's Not Dead 2. <laughs> okay. Is it my least favorite movie of the year? It is not. We'll get to my least favorite in a moment. Um, yeah, so of course it's terrible, um, but I will say that it's definitely better than the first. Not that that means much. Uh, improvement doesn't mean good, uh, but it's interesting in that the because the same writers as the original God's Not Dead, but that was more of a more tried to be like you know uh, shortcuts or crash or or these moves mm-hmm. like multiple characters more of an ensemble based thing it winds up just going in all these different directions whereas the new one focuses primarily not exclusively unfortunately but uh primarily on this uh this court case everything about the court case is melodramatic and simplistic but there's inherent drama in a court case and there's forward momentum which is here's a witness uh here's the rebuttal here's the redirect just you know and just constantly moving forward and from a storytelling standpoint i found myself not necessarily there's a difference between being interested and being invested i was interested i wasn't really invested um but, uh, but yeah, the movie is not good, uh, of course, but there are a couple of, you know, it's important to look for improvements where you can. And one thing that I like is, uh, so Ray Wise is in it and does a pretty good job. He understands the movie he's in and modulates his uh, performance accordingly. Uh, Jesse, Met- Jesse Metcalf is in the film, uh, playing a character who is a good guy and the character is not a Christian at the beginning of the film and he is not a Christian at the end of the film and yet remains a good guy. Uh, that is rare for Christian films. It's, hey, this is a good guy, so obviously we know where he, where he needs to end up, right? Uh, and that is not the case with this film and I, I like that quite a bit. So uh, obviously I don't recommend anybody see it. It is not good. It is, <laughs> it is, uh, 
it's really terrible in a lot of ways. Um, and I think it could be thematically and theologically damaging. Um, but you know, it's better than the first, the first I'd give probably half a star. This one, I might go a full star, maybe even a star and a half if I'm feeling generous. God's not dead too. Oh, and there's a, I made a joke on Twitter where after the movie, I took a photo of the, uh, of the credits rolling and I said, Hey, what should I stick around for the, uh, the post-credit sequence, you know, I thought I was making a joke. Oh, here's a post-credit sequence that, uh, that sets up God's not dead three. And, uh, it, the choice that they have made for what that movie is going to be is to me infuriating. Okay. Well, more on that later. I guess so. All right. Um, I saw a movie in Mexico. I know you've seen it. I know you're a big fan of it. Um, cause it's from your favorite director of all time. I saw the movie, the lady from Shanghai, which I had never actually seen in its entirety. Um, before and it's uh terrific it, yeah it, it continues to astound me um i think uh what 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 orson wells did yeah uh in, in his movies i mean because there are things like in citizen kane that you can look at with like deep focus and like technical things that he did that had not been done before but he he, he really like took risks that i'd that, but they don't feel like risks because he's so sure footed with them. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking here, like, uh, I'm not just talking about technical stuff. I'm talking about, uh, in lady from Shanghai, the, um, the other, the other lawyer, um, I, I can't remember any of the characters names, mm-hmm. but the one who has the <laughs> ridiculous voice. Yes. Like just having that actor, like play it that way is nuts. It would be kind of nuts now. It would definitely be nuts in what forty-seven. What would you? Yeah, around there. Yeah. Uh, um, and yet it works. It feels so of a of a whole with the uh, the rest of the movie. It really. It, there is a, a maverick quality to Orson Welles. I mean, not merely because he often had to raise his own money, but like he was always just doing his own thing. Like he, if you watch a bunch of Welles movies in a row. They're all, they always have a very specific visual quality to them. Mm-hmm. The frame is always packed with detail and it is cut together in a, in a way that is somehow unsettling sometimes. Um, it doesn't, when I think of movies from that time, even movies that have violence and tension and that sort of thing, uh, they still are cut together in a very conventional way. But if you look at the way he shoots things and the way he cuts them together, they just, it feels right, but it also feels like he creates tension not merely from the story and the characters that he's created, but also just the way he's, he's made the film and just again, packed the frame with bric-a-brac so that you just, it feels cluttered and uncomfortable. I have a hard time going back to his movies. I need to be in a very specific mood to return to his mm-hmm. movies. Cause I know that by the end of them, I will often be kind of tired. I will be exhausted by <laughs> yeah. them. And um, well, this one, ladies from Shanghai, you can tire, tire yourself out just, trying to keep track of what's going on oh sure although yeah, yeah. like my wife and i we saw it it was weird like i was looking up events that were going to be happening in the city of merida while i was there and they were like oh they're showing lady from shanghai at the cultural center and i guess this is just something they do it was not well advertised it was mm. not very well attended it was like in the basement of this building mm. um uh and so it was kind of an odd experience um you know with spanish subtitles obviously but um yeah, on the walk back, on the walk, we walked uh, to wherever we were walking after that. Uh, I said to my wife, I was like, okay, 
here's what I think happened. <laughs> and I laid it out and she was like, yeah, that's pretty much what I was thinking. I think we got this movie figured out. And we're like, okay. Oh, if you were to ask me now, hey, what happens in Lady from Shanghai? I was like, well, there, Everett Sloan plays this guy who walks with two canes and is really insidious. Uh, there's this fight uh, in a hall of mirrors. Uh, Orson Welles is Irish. Like, I just, I wouldn't talk about the right. story. I'd be talking about characters and sequences, yeah. which tends to be how film noir works. Because there's like a double cross and then one of them goes wrong. So there's like a last second impulsive triple cross. Yeah. And so it, it is tough to, but it, it all, it all works out. I do need to see that film again and uh, probably on Blu-ray. Um, okay. What's so next for you? Next for me is, okay, here we go. Uh, Jen and I watched unfriended. Oh, I hear a good thing. It's great. David, I'm telling you, I don't like to use the word. I know we don't, we tend not to like to use the word uh, gimmick. Uh, cause I feel like it's a bit reductive. Yeah. Um, so we could say conceit or whatever it is, storytelling device. But Unfriended it takes place, it's, it's kind of a found footage film in a way uh, where a bunch of friends who are just hanging out via Skype. So each of them is in their own house. Yeah. And, they're ta- and, and the, the ghost of this girl who committed suicide, uh, you know, gets into it's like a year after her death and she gets into the machine and she has the ability to possess people. She has the ability to influence things and it works so well. I mean, if you're going to do this thing, if you're going to make this movie this way, you need to commit 100%. And they commit 100%. The actors are all wonderful. I don't know how they shot this. I don't know if they shot it all in one take and had everybody in oh, separate places. I could tell you. Oh, they okay. did. Okay, yes. They, I mean, I don't know if they, I don't think they were really literally in separate houses. I think they built rooms sure. on a soundstage. They're all on the same stage, but they're all in the same room. And I think they did the movie, like they did the movie in real time. They would have um, to. And it feels uh, organic. Yeah, and, it was at the, I, I guess you weren't at the WonderCon panel last year. For it, yeah, that's what they talked about it, and and things like um, sometimes you'll see a character like um, lean out of frame, mm-hmm. and it's because they were like breaking character and just like they're, <laughs> they're like I'm going to pretend like I have some business over here, yeah, uh, to cover that I'm like chuckling or or whatever. And I think one of the things that sells it to me is that because we're seeing it from a first person perspective, so we are one of the one of the girls there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see her on screen because when you Skype with someone and you're using your camera, you will see yourself on screen. Right. So she's always there. Um, and so, but we are her basically. It's very strange, but we also, while she's talking with people on Skype, she will also be, you know, instant messaging with one of the people. And there's something about right. the way, the way the, the, the media and the internet is, is used that seems completely organic. It's the way I use mm-hmm. the internet, you know, even right down to, I mean, you can look at my computer screen over there. How many damn tabs do I have yeah. open in my, uh, in my Google Chrome, uh, a million. And that's how it well, is I'm there. Counting. Yep. Okay. A million. Yep. That's, <laughs> it's hard to tell. Cause at that point they get, they're kind of little slivers, <laughs> but, um, and it just, it feels very like the performances feel right. The, the, the way that the, I'll say gimmick. Sorry. The way that the gimmick is, is done is perfect. It is a tense and 
exhilarating film. It's kind of it's it it owes more, I'd say, to like Agatha Christie than it does horror films. Um, but boy, oh boy, David, right. see it. Uh, I plan to see it. Why don't let me ask you the fact that this gimmick, quote unquote, um, worked for you? Does that make you more likely to see Hardcore Henry? No. Okay. Same producer. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, you know what has made me more likely to see Hardcore Henry? The uh, reviews. Did you, did, oh, okay. Like, I honestly, because I'm a snob, I foolishly like heard about Hardcore Henry, saw the admittedly lame like logo mm-hmm. that they've done for it, and thought, oh, that's not for it. That's not that's not, that's not real. That's not for me. And yeah. just forgot about it. And then people started talking about it this week when it came out and reviews came out, and I was like, what are you guys doing? Like then we got better things to do. And then I actually yeah. started like paying attention to some reviews and I'm like, ah, maybe I got to see this thing. I think we got to get over my snobbishness. I, I feel like the, to me, what's difficult and I recognize it's an action movie. And so I shouldn't be thinking along, uh, along these lines. It's, it's clearly trying to do something different than the, your average film. Um, I just have a hard time feeling it's like, well, there can't possibly be any character development here. Right. Uh, if we are Henry, I don't know. you know, how I much of an arc are we going to have? But also I think I would get motion sick. I so that's, that's the other thing. Um, um, all right. I think I'm next. Yep. Uh, I saw a movie that I was cautiously optimistic bef- about and it, I'm going to say it did not pan out for me, but it's not as much of a disaster as you may have heard. Okay. Uh, I saw my big fat Greek wedding too. Okay. Um, I am an unabashed fan of the, um, original, my big fat Greek wedding, uh, film. Um, mostly because of just the, uh, what I find to be the, uh, pure unadulterated charm of Nia Verdala. Sure. Um, and this movie, it almost feels like, um, Kind of like what we're doing right now, right? Okay. We haven't done one of these movie journals for a while. And I do feel like it's taking me some time to get back into the groove. I don't feel like mm. I'm quite there yet, actually. Um, I'm sure the listeners can tell. Um, imagine if it were 14 years. Yeah. <laughs> and it almost feels <laughs> like they're making the movie in real time where it's really rusty and clunky at the beginning. And then, like, in the third act, it actually recaptures some of that mm. uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding charm. And I... I like where it ends up. I mean, it's not like, um, you know, it's not breaking any new ground or anything, but, right. uh, it does eventually find the heart and warmth that I think defined the, the first one. Yeah. But it's, it seems like basically the problem with the first half or more of the movie is that they're so intent on repeating the general story beats yeah. or character beats of the first one that it kind of like, it's like, well, if the, if this is who she is right now, why why did we what did we go through the first movie before? Like yeah. the 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 like victories and catharsis and the things that she came that she learned about herself and the and her relation to her family in the first one are essentially null and void because you have to start with her like yeah. uh, being a sad sack again. It, it was a real bummer to me. Yeah, a sad sack who is happily married with children now, right? Uh, yeah, with a child. That's very strange. Yeah. Um, I will say this. There is something in this movie that I guarantee is the hardest thing I've laughed at in 2016 and will probably be the hardest thing that I laugh at all year. But I don't know to what extent I honestly, I almost want you to see the movie so I can be like, how intentional is that? That that's funny. (laughs) Like, here's the thing. 
I'm going to say there's a 98% chance I'm not going to see this movie. So explain it to me. Uh, but I mean, there's also listeners here to, to account for. Uh, okay. I guess the movie's been out a few weeks. Yeah. All right. There's a lot of Skyping in this movie. Okay. Like with, uh, your, with iPads. Yeah. And there's one character, one of the like nameless many Greek ants or whatever. Yeah. Not Andrea Martin, who I enjoy. No, um, but it's uh, uh, there's a big thing. She's she's skyping with Lenny Kazan's character. Mm. She and the rest of the ants are skyping, and Lenny Kazan's character is like, "You got to get over here. You got to come now." And then this, then they all like are like, "Oh, they you know hustle and bustle." They all run out the door, and then the woman holding the iPad <laughs> puts her face. <laughs> All the way up against the iPad and screams, we're coming. (laughs) And I feel like the joke is maybe supposed to be like, oh, she's not used to this technology and she thinks that's what you have to do. But we've seen her using this thing for the whole scene up until then. And so all it really is is just this insane choice that she made to press her face against the iPad and scream, we're coming. And I like, I laughed through half of the next scene. And I don't know, I, I, but no one else seemed to have that reaction. I was sitting next to our friend, uh, Todd Vanderwerf. I don't know what he thinks of me, uh, because I lost my mind. I was laughing so hard at this and I still don't like, I, I don't know to what extent it is funny for the reasons I think it's funny. I mean, one way or another, someone made a choice, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and the choice is this is a ridiculous thing. And so, uh, you know, whether it be it was written in there or the actress said, hey, I'm going to do this. And the director said, OK, let's yeah. let's go with it. You know, so, yeah, uh, good for you. It sounds silly. Sounds ridiculous. Yeah. But all right. All right. Uh, what's next for you? Next for me is a rewatch. Uh, Jen and I watched uh, The Hateful Eight. Oh, and boy, watching it a second time. I do own it now. Um, because there are things in it that I, that I do really enjoy, but watching it a second time, um, and this was even shorter, you know, the, you and I saw the, the road show, uh, edition, right. And on Blu-ray, yeah. this is just the, the theatrical cut. Oh, really? Yeah. So what's missing? Uh, there's a couple, I, there are one or two actual like moments that I noticed were missing, but also there's no overture or oh, anything okay. like that. So, uh, but I will say this, uh, the first time around, I did not feel the length of the film and maybe it's because, uh, I was allowed 15, a 15 minute break. <laughs> um, this time, but now you're allowed all the breaks you want. When you're I know, home. but I didn't want to, but honestly, I, I, I was curious to see how it would feel um, without an intermission because I knew there wasn't going to be one. So it was going to go straight from, you know, that one character. I don't want to spoil it. That one character getting shot right into, oh, someone's got a secret. Yeah. Um, And you come and I do think that that intermission was placed there very deliberately for a reason, because we need to digest everything that we've just seen and the moment we just saw before we move on. Whereas this, it just moves things along. And so I start to feel, I think I start to feel the length of the film, but I think I also, it just starts to exhaust me after a while because things, everything is so, there's such a histrionic quality to it that after a while it's like, Oh man, this is tiresome. Um, 
And that includes the violence. Like after a while, I was just like, damn, this like the violence does get to me. Mm-hmm. But there are things that I like more now. I liked Damien Bashir before. <laughs> now he's a revelation. Just the way he chooses to play that character. Uh, I love him all day long. Um, and there's just, and there are a couple moments that I, that I really enjoy that I think, I feel like Michael Madsen is not used remarkably, not that he's used poorly, but he's just not used that much hmm. in the film. But there are, there are a couple nice moments like, uh, like when Kurt Russell is saying, is like, Oh, are you writing your life? You're writing your life story. He goes, yep. And he says, am I in it? And there's this nice smile. He's like, you just entered. <laughs> and, and I feel like. And I feel like that's a, it's a really nice, Michael Madsen does have the ability to be threatening with a big smile on his face. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, I appreciated James Parks more this time. He was OB. Yeah. Uh, and then he's the, the hateful ninth. Yeah. Except it's, it's clear that like, you know, he's just the help. Uh, so he's not, uh, hateful towards any one person. Uh, and then I, I think I also really, really responded to, uh, Kurt Russell this time around. I, I did before, but I, I think he's really doing some good work. So, uh, so yeah, I don't think I like the film as much as I did when I first saw it, but then there are specific details as will happen when you see a, a Tarantino film, specific details that you missed the first time will emerge. And suddenly they're like my new favorite thing. Like Damien Bashir is probably my favorite part of the movie now. Um, so yeah, so yeah. that's, that's, that's mine. What's next for you? Okay. I saw a, a, a film, uh, a recent movie called, Take me to the river. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and it's to read it's, um, uh, the description of the plot, um, which here, I'm actually going to read the IMDb description. Just the, just the one sentence one, a California teenager's plan to come out at his Nebraskan family reunion gets derailed when a blood stain on his young cousin's dress makes him the unwitting suspect of abuse. Yeah, I wanted I I wanted to make the screening of it because that sounded interesting to me. Well, I mean, and, and that is the story, um, but that makes it sound like a you know uh, social issue, domestic drama type yeah. of uh, type of thing, and it is all that. But really, this is a horror movie. Oh, great! Is that <laughs> um, a good thing in your opinion? Yes and no. Okay. It's good in the sense that uh, Matt Sobel, the director, um, is able to increase, uh, like, uh, to to inject tension and and to steadily increase that tension uh, and dread um, in the way it makes me think this guy could really make a great, like, straightforward mm-hmm. horror movie. Um, and also, uh, I think I wrote about this in, in my review, like... Um, usually when we have movies about characters from the city horror movies with characters in the city are in the country. Right. You know, the, the threat is abstracted to be, you know, like cannibals or some sort of like crazy version. It's like, no, these are just run of the mill rednecks. And yeah. you're like, you're kind of supposed to be terrified of them just because they're rednecks. Mm. Um, and on the one hand, I'm not sure that I, if I step back, I'm not sure that I'm okay with that. Uh, broad brush, but yeah. I also, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm afraid of rednecks. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it does tap into something with me. But here's where I think it, 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 it the movie uh, stumbles a little bit. Okay, you know how when you're watching a horror movie, I'm with you. A character makes a choice to say go in a place, sure, and you're like. 
don't go in there, Indeed. right? But you know, uh, there's part of a, an agreement between you and the movie that this is what this movie is. Yeah. The fact that this is not a straightforward horror movie, that it's a domestic drama that feels like a horror movie, um, makes it, 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 it breaks the suspension of disbelief because this character, the, the main ah, character, I see. who is our, he's our hero, he's the protagonist, keeps doing, he keeps putting himself in potential danger mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, you have to know, you have to be, you're a smart kid, you have to be able to read the writing on the wall here and know, don't go to your uncle's house right now. Like, don't do it. Like, the fact that he's invited you over for, for lunch is a threat and yeah. you should know to steer clear of it. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it does, I, I, I think, um, in the abstract, I think it's, it really succeeds a lot of what it set out, sets out to do, but I don't think the movie is able to hold together, um, in, uh, just stick together as a whole. But the, the performances are great. Uh, I can't think of who plays the main kid, but his parents are Robin Weigert and, uh, Richard Schiff. Hey, all right. Um, his, his uncle is Josh Hamilton. Do you know who that actor is? Yes, I do. And then his, uh, the cousin, um, who with the, with the stain is, um, I'm drawing a blank on her and Ursula Parker, uh, who is, um, Louis youngest daughter on Louis. Oh, all right. Um, oh, you even watch Louis? No. Okay. Well, she's terrific. Uh, a lot of people out there just went, Oh, because she's, she's fantastic. Um, oh, and also his aunt, Josh Hamilton's character's wife is played by an actress named Azura sky. That name sounds familiar. I know her from a couple episodes of, um, Buffy the vampire slayer. Um, but, uh, she's terrific in this movie. Okay. But you said, but the, the main kid, you can't, uh, that's the whole reason I got my phone out. (laughs) Uh, the main kid's name is Logan Miller. Okay. I don't know if we're supposed to know him from anything. Yeah, that doesn't sound familiar. Scout's but, uh, Guide to the Apocalypse. I didn't oh, okay. see it. Yes, I did not either. All right. Um, yeah, All right. that sounds that sounds good to me, but it, it's odd that you mentioned that shortly after we discussed uh, briefly uh, Entrance, because that's mm-hmm. the thing is I love the idea of a realistic horror movie, one that yeah. takes place in our reality. But if you're going to do that, you, you do need to well, have a main character who would act the way we would act. To be clear, I might have overstated, because this is... Not everyone's going to watch this and think it's a horror movie. It yeah. is a drama, like it's, but it has all the beats and tone okay. of horror. Okay. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay. So that it has a, a sensibility, but enough that... But in, in, in every way. Okay. It's almost like, it's like you took all of the, it's like you took the, 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 uh, indie, um, the, the hard edged indie drama. Mm-hmm that the plot makes it sound like, and you put it in the clothes of a horror movie. You're selling this to me. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, it's, I'm excited. When it works, it's great, but there are, it's, it is something that I can only kind of appreciate, uh, analytically in a lot of ways because of it, it kept breaking the suspension of disbelief. And I am fascinated because you said that like it, it appears at first when you read the description to be like a, a social message kind of thing. I kind of like that. I'm a sucker for this kind of thing that one movie appears to be happening and then another movie breaks out. Uh-huh. And so it's just like, yeah, horror movies not going to happen. It's not always going to happen in the midst of a bunch of teenagers going to a cabin. Sometimes it happens when somebody's going to do something very momentous in their life, but Oh wait, they just got distracted by a, a horror movie breaking out. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of neat. 
But, um, and I like, as you know, I like that kind of specificity. Um, okay. Next for me, David. All right. I'm listening. I can't think, I can't think of a better way to phrase this. So there is a, uh, there is an old hymn, uh, an old, uh, gospel hymn. And it goes, uh, Oh, how I love Jesus. And then it repeats that several times. And then it says, because he first loved me. David, my least favorite movie of the year uh-huh. is Demolition by Jean-Marc Vallée. Yes, who previously directed Wild, which I liked quite a bit. I did not and see Dallas Buyers Dal- Club. Dallas Buyers Club, both of which, I mean, Wild is, I think, fantastic. Yeah, uh, Dallas it. Buyers Club is very, very good. So here's the thing. I hate Demolition because it first hated me or uh, <laughs> because it just, I cannot, I mean... I told you this. We we texted back for, back and forth. Halfway through the film, I wanted to slip out of the screening room and text you and say, "What is our policy on walking out?" <laughs> now, I don't think I have I've sat through a lot of shit for this website. Listeners, I've done this for you. Uh-huh. This is the first time that I have ever wanted to leave. And really toyed with it. And I don't think I ever will. And I didn't that time. But I mean, I like everybody. I like everything about it. The premise is solid. I like the director. I like the actors. Uh, I think the issue is with the writer. Now, this also comes down to the director because he should have said, yeah, we got to change this script. Uh-huh. Uh, but the the writer who I believe has not written much and it shows because so much of this horrendous, insulting horseshit screenplay um, is the stuff of a 16 year old kid who's never written anything before and is trying to tackle like big things, man. And it just, and is trying to trying to be quirky in a very specific way. It reminded me of American beauty, but a uh, good God, it, that is such a, that is a masterpiece compared to this film. <laughs> um, it's trying to be that it's trying to incorporate certain things that it has. And it's just quirk, just unrelenting quirk. Uh, and I'm not saying that a film, cause it's about a guy who's lost his wife and is trying to figure out who he is now. And so, you know, and when you're, when you're in the midst of, of grief, people can act strangely. And, and I don't think that any, that, people in a movie or in life should act a very specific way when they're grieving, you know, however you're going to act is how you, how you're going to react. But so much of this, so much of how the, the writer has the main character react, it does not seem to spring organically from him. Uh, it seems to be like the writer said, Hey, this would be kind of interesting. This would be fun. This will allow us to explore something except it doesn't actually explore anything. Um, it is, you know, everybody's trying their hardest. Chris Cooper does some good stuff. Naomi Watts is completely wasted mm. in a part that is uh, horrendously underdeveloped. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, a lot of people really like his performance. I think it is fine, but it is also him at his quirkiest trying to... He's, he, I think he's trying to get a handle on this quirky character, but the character is so inconsistent, but not in a way that I like, um, that... I feel like Jalen Hall is just kind of flailing, trying to figure out what do I do with this? And I feel like the film had a very, I think it had a low opinion of me 
Mm-hmm. I think it had a low opinion of the audience um, because I think it is banking on us having never talked to another human being. <laughs> I cannot, I mean, whew, this film is just exhausting. It is a, it it's is, a, it's a bummer because I like Jean-Marc Vallée, but I saw, yeah. uh, I, I say I don't watch trailers, but sometimes I go to the movies and I can't avoid trailers. Yeah. And so I think this was before where to invade next of all things. Hmm. Um, and I, I do remember thinking that it looked really bad. It just, man, I like it less than the sequel to God's Not Dead. That's how much I hate. It's been a while since I've hated a movie. And I hate Demolition. So much. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on. Don't get too comfortable because I'm not going to spend long on this because I already right. talked about it on the Wonder Kind episode. But at WonderCon, I saw a movie. It's called Justice League versus Teen Titans. Oh, okay. Um, it's part of the DC Animated Universe movies that they do. Um uh, which which they and they always show one at, at WonderCon and it's always a fun time. Uh and yeah, this one was was good. It was a lot of fun. It was uh the these movies are true to their characters with uh while also finding a way to be about eighty to eighty five percent action. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's there the talk for good? a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's good good stuff. Uh so yeah. Uh I'd recommend it. All right, David, don't get too comfortable uh, because I spent an hour and 40 minutes last week talking about this next one, which is uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Um, oh, was that all? I didn't check the runtime on that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't listen to it, but I, I, I imagine it would go longer. Oh, you think? Yeah, it's uh, it's shorter than the movie. Yeah. So that's I guess that's something. Um, yeah, the film, uh you know, go and listen to the episode and special thanks to, uh, Pat Francis and Mike Siegel for, uh, for saying it. Mike made it very clear in the emails. He said like, I do not want to see this movie. And I said, <laughs> I said like, well, I can find somebody else. And he's like, nah, I guess I'll do it. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the movie is, is something of a mess as tends to be the case with Zack Snyder. I can't, I cannot write him off as a filmmaker. He has talent. But I think his instincts are strange and sometimes dumb. And but there's still good. There's still some good imagery in there. There's still some interesting action in there. There are times when the action is very numbing and I feel I'm, I felt nothing about it. But uh, there are still good things in the film. I think almost everything Batman related is solid. I think Ben Affleck does a great job. I think uh, Jeremy Irons does a great job. I like the design of Batman. I like the voice that they have him using. Uh, I am excited at the notion of a Batman because it's, I think it was announced today or yesterday that, uh, uh, it is, it has been confirmed that Batman, that uh, Ben Affleck will direct a standalone Batman movie. And I'm thrilled Hmm. because while I was not a huge fan of the town and I'm not a huge fan of Argo, but I love gone baby gone. Like he has, he is a very, very solid director who knows what he wants and can direct, tension and action pretty well and so i'm i'm excited for that and especially having seen this version of batman i am very very excited for that but this film in general just a swing and a miss okay um several swings actually it is it is a full-on strikeout um all right now do they in 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 the first in man of steel Mm -hmm. there was um of course the part where they fight in an IHOP, the right. part where they fight in front of a Seven yeah. Eleven, 
Uh, what what, were, na- what national chains did they destroy or uh, fight near this time? Oddly enough, because I was looking, uh-huh. I can't remember any. Oh. I think there probably are some, but it was not nearly as obvious okay. in this one. Uh, all right, let's move on to one of the best films of 2016 so far. Okay. Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. All right. Um, man, I, I, I'm developing a theme here, like with 10 Cloverfield Lane and this, like, uh, I get excited about a movie. I go in it lives up to my expectations and maybe even, maybe even exceeds them. Um, but, uh, every, everybody wants some is, is being touted by Linkletter as a spiritual sequel to dazed and confused. And, um, there is a ton of that. The fact that it's a, uh, you know, a period, movie about uh young people partying um it c- takes place in a contained uh amount of time whereas days of confused is 24 hours um this is uh, a weekend mm-hmm. um but it's also different enough from days of confused um to uh to stand on its own um because uh, a lot of Richard Linklater's movies are about people um, being excited to figure out who they are or, or, or standing on the precipice of, um, a new chapter in their life will they will become more of something. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they, and they talk a lot, these characters about what they think of the world and of themselves, but it's all kind of beautifully malleable because they know that they're young, yeah. you know, and this certainly has that, but this is also, um, and this actually kind of, uh, turned my wife off about the movie cause she, she saw it with me. Um, this is a, even more so than boyhood. Um, this is a specifically male centric movie. It is, um, about, uh, I don't think we were throwing this term around back in 1980 when the movie takes place, but it's about bros. Yeah. I don't um, think so. and, Back then they said chums. <laughs> That's right. Um, and they're doing a lot of broish things. Uh, but I don't know if the, I don't think the movie itself has a broish sensibility. I think mm. it's examining that. Mm. Um, in fact, I know it is because I think the movie does a really interesting thing where it something I usually hate, which is that it has a character say its themes out loud about halfway through. Mm. And so I normally don't like that. But what I liked about Everybody Wants Some is that then it became about something else. It was like, once it acknowledged that, it's kind of like we were talking about Take Me to the River. Like, it gives you the idea of like, okay, we're seeing a movie about the way that young uh, men interact and the competitions and and stuff like that. And then it comments on that and then it becomes about something else. Hmm. Um, It becomes about uh, realizing you don't have to be limited by that and trying on, um, you know, that you can you can float between uh, subcultures or cliques or you, you know, you can, you can hang on to your essential self without having to define yourself by the people around you. You Mm. can, uh, you can try new things and still be yourself. Uh, And it's also really funny the whole time. All right. And the performances, the performances are great. Um, A lot of people you, uh, I think kind of like days confused was full of people that, some of whom whom have gone on to be better known, but weren't you know there weren't a lot of big names in Days and Confused. Yeah, 
uh, and that's kind of what's going on here too. You might reckon I, the, the lead I know from Glee, but not everyone, uh, mm. would know the later seasons of Glee. Um, uh, and then, uh, there's, um, yeah, there's some other actors, uh, Wyatt Russell, um, Kurt Russell's son, whom I know oh, from right. 22 jump street. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but it's fantastic. I would definitely recommend checking it out. All right. So, uh, next for me is, um, one of the, uh, film in that, uh, Vincent price box set that I reviewed for the website. Uh, it's called cry of the Banshee. It's directed by Gordon Hessler and it's very, it's, it's interesting to watch, uh, uh, Vincent price's career, uh, progress as standards and film changed, you know, uh, because, it's one thing to be in like a B horror movie in the fifties. It's quite another to be in a B horror movie in the seventies, you know, because there is definitely an exploitative quality. I'm not saying the film is bad. Uh, and his performance is very, very good, but, um, there's definitely an exploitative quality to this. Uh, there's some nudity. There are, there's sexual assault that is definitely we're supposed to condemn it, but there's definitely, there's also a, a, titillating quality right. to it as, as you yeah. tend to find in movies like that. I'm already, um, but, uh, but yeah, the movie itself is, is, is only okay, but his performance is very, very good. He's, uh, uh, a magistrate or something like that. I don't know. He played a couple magistrates in, in that box set that I watched. Um, and, I know, uh, cause we talked about it on the last movie yeah. journal. Cause yeah. I talked about the, the song from Oliver Oh, yeah. And says, good morrow to you, magistrate, which is what I always think of when I think of that word now. Odd that you bring up Oliver because we're going to be talking about it later. I know we are. Um, I listened to your episode about it. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Oh, I, fun. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. It just came. It came up. It, uh, I, I realized I hadn't listened to him more than one lesson in a while. Oh, all right. And I looked at what it was and it was like, oh, I like that movie. And I really liked your conversation. But we'll, we'll okay. talk about that later. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so he's he prices is a guy in uh in you know in witch hunter times, uh you know, sure. Puritan times, <clears throat> olden times, and he is Back super, when witch hunters were thick on the ground. <laughs> I haven't heard that phrase before. I don't know if it's a real phrase. Um, it probably is. But the uh but yeah, and so he's really corrupt and he's very and he's a very specific type of pious. Um and even though there are witches that are evil, uh, the argument is that the film seems to be making is, is like, okay, well, is the cure worse than the disease and stuff like that? So there's some good stuff going on in there, but for the most part, uh, the only reason to see it, uh, appropriately because it's in a Vincent price box set. The only reason to see it is his performance. Okay. And I'm not sure if I would say his performance is quite good enough to justify seeing the film. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, do you ever do you ever watch a movie that's so heartwarming and unchallenging and pleasant that you almost feel dumb or guilty for liking it? Sure. <laughs> um, that sounds like a roundabout. That sounds like an underhanded compliment, but I really do recommend this movie. It's called Life Animated, um, and it's a documentary. Uh, it's a true story about a um, an autistic kid. Uh, he was. He was developing, uh, I guess, normally up until he was about three years old, and then he just stopped talking. Mm-hmm. And for about four years of his life, didn't really talk at all to his parents. They couldn't get through to him. He would make noises, but uh, didn't really talk. But then they realized that some of the things he was saying was 
lines of dialogue from the Disney movies he was watching. Hmm. And he, this kid was obsessed with, with classic Disney animated uh, movies. And that's how the first conversation his dad had with his son since he was three. So really the first conversation at all was um, with through an Iago puppet because he realized like that he could actually talk to him. And so yeah. he talked to him through Iago, Iago. And so did he try to do a Gilbert Godfrey? Uh, yeah, he does a pretty good one actually. <laughs> um, and uh, so the, the movie takes place when this kid is now, um, he's in his early twenties. He's about to graduate from, um, I guess he's going to a school for artistic kids. So I guess he's about to graduate from high school, but the equivalent is not the same. I don't know. Um, but he's about to move out on his own into an assistant living, assisted living facility for mm-hmm. people uh, w- um, w- uh, with autism. And it looks back at his life through Disney movies, and Disney was clearly cooperative. There's clips all over the place. Uh, and it's just so touching and heartwarming. And this kid, you can't believe that this kid, uh, I say kid, he's a young man now, you can't believe that he didn't talk for four years because, yes, he still has a autism and has um has trouble recognizing some things that you and i would see as normal and he still um uh, sees the world in a different way um but he's so outgoing and so pleasant and so fun like i dare i i, I defy anyone to watch this movie and not uh be just in love with this young man he's hmm. he's uh he's he's wonderful uh the movie's a lot of fun um the best part, the part that I almost felt guilty at laughing because, like, am I laughing for the wrong reasons? Is when he has his when he gets and in, moves into his new place and he has his girlfriend over for a stay at home date, um, and she's also autistic mm-hmm. and um, like she comes to the door and he answers the door and they're just talking and he like he doesn't invite her in. No. Uh, it, probably, it probably doesn't occur to him no. and so they're standing and talking about him and she sort of awkwardly just like steps into the apartment <laughs> and they move on to the next part and then um, the thing it got a huge laugh in the theater I hope it's okay to laugh but he um, very mildly they made baking cookies and he very mildly like burns his arm on the uh, on the pan and he's like ah and and she and she says in uh, standard girlfriend speak she was said uh, do you want me to kiss it better and he goes no, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now how how can somebody see this movie? How can I see this movie? Uh, it's coming out. Um, okay, soon. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, I haven't written my review yet okay. because um, I'm. I try to write reviews close to when I see the movie, but I've been like really behind um, on stuff, so I don't actually remember when it's coming out. Um, but I know I haven't written the movie, written the review yet. Okay. All right, what's next for you? Uh, So I'm going to put two things together, not because they're related, but because I didn't know where to put this other thing. It's not a movie. Okay. It is a video installation. There is a a new art museum in Los Angeles called The Broad. It's downstairs. It's called The Broad. The Broad Museum. I hate you so much. Why? Did you go there? No. Okay. No, you can't go. You you have to get a reservation. Which, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and you can get one like three weeks to a month uh, in advance. Uh, but it is free, which is nice. Art. Uh, but there is... Is art worth it? Not really. I mean, it's like I get it. Paintings. I don't know. I, have, uh, I know I'm like uh, interrupting you here, but I, like, I do like art. But sometimes in Los Angeles, certain things become a trend. Mm. And it, I don't... It's 
so contrarian of me that it gets under my skin. I still can't go past LACMA without thinking about that big stupid rock out back. Yeah. Everyone was so obsessed with that rock. Still, <laughs> the rock is like a part of Los Angeles' civic identity at this point for some reason because there's this, this big dumb rock over a walkway behind a museum. Yeah. I, and I'm still mad. I'm still mad about the rock. And so uh, until uh, the Broad Museum is a museum that I can just walk up to and buy a ticket or whatever, I'll be mad at it too. Now, once again, it is called the Broad. That is the last name of the of the couple that founded it. Okay, uh, it's not somebody. It's not called. It's not the Broad, and somebody decided to be an asshole about it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, there is a, a video installation that is an hour long. You don't necessarily need to stay for the whole hour, but there is something to be said for doing so. Uh, it is called the Visitors. And it is made by a guy whose last name I have forgotten. I didn't write it down. His first name is Ragnar. He's Icelandic. And it is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Um, I couldn't help but have an emotional reaction to it, as did Jen, as did a lot of the people that were there with me. Uh, I looked up comments about it online, and a lot of other people said the, the word beautiful was used. And it is... It is a, if you get the chance to see it, because it is, it has been in, in other museums as well. But if you get, if it winds up coming to a museum near you, seek it out. It's called The Visitors. Uh, you can probably find, I believe there's a website dedicated to it. So you can go there and find out where it's going to be. But right now it is at the, it is at the, the Broad Museum. Uh, it is worth getting the reservation all that like the rest of the museum is very interesting there's some architectural decisions that are actually quite fascinating with the museum itself but for me that installation was uh almost transcendent um it was absolutely astounding so david i think you would i think you would dig it the most i look forward to going someday so, when the uh hype dies down i do not know if it'll still be if there. this thing is uh, i i believe it is temporary it's been there since September. I don't know how much longer it's going to be there, but uh, it's worth checking out. Yeah, well, uh, uh, it will be at least June before I can even get in there. You could you could make a reservation now and get in in May. Okay. Or you can actually go and stand in a very long line, and if long as long as you're willing to stand in the line, you will get in. Okay. So, All right. Um, um, <clears throat> and yeah, don't get me wrong. You'll be in in line with a bunch of uh, trendsters, but uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. I want to say that, and I didn't know where to put it, so there we go. That did not count as one of the okay. numbers. So I did also see, it seemed, so I went from one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, film or otherwise, to uh, Dylan Kid's Get a Job, which is not one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Uh, in fact, I barely remember it at all. Um, yeah, I already forgot that it came out, because no one, no one liked it, Yeah, it's, it's not very good. I like, I, I remember, so Dylan Kid made Roger Dodger, which I love. Yeah, and uh, he made... Um, P.S. Yes, which called? is also very good. Yeah, I like that. Um, I don't know if I'd say very good. It's good, and at very least, it's interesting. Um, but he wrote and directed those. He did not write this one, and I see no indication of Dylan Kidd the, the, hmm. that I'm aware of uh, in this film. It sat on, uh, infamously or famously, it sat on the shelf for, th- for four years for some reason, um, and then was released because... Anna Kendrick is in it. Miles Teller is in it, and they have gone on to be bigger stars right. than they were four years ago. And Brian Cranston, right? Brian Cranston. Yeah, He's but also a bigger star than he was four years ago. Breaking Bad was in the was still All going right. on at the time. Um, 
but yeah, uh, and it's just about, and also it feels, it's very strange to say this, but like, cause I recognize that we're not in a great, uh, economy right now, but we are in a better one than we were in, in 2012. And so the film is very much about, uh, you know, characters losing their jobs and trying to find a job. It's very much of the moment, which means it should have been released in the moment. Right. Uh, right now it seems a little bit dated and not necessarily dated. It just seems late to the party, you know? Um, right. but you know, and the actors do what they can. Brian Cranston does what he can. Uh, but in the end, the film also just doesn't seem to know what it wants to be. It doesn't seem to know if it wants to be a, an intelligent uh, discussion about like the economy and the impact that it can have on like younger people, especially younger people who are kind of of a generation where like, you know, quote unquote, everybody gets a trophy. That's a big part of the film. Um, but then also, um, so it wants to be that, but then also a lot of these characters like will get high on a regular basis and it's kind of a weird bro comedy at times. It just does not know what it wants mm. to be. And so it winds up just being this very frustrating experience, uh, and a, a big waste of talent. I'll say that. So moving on. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, a couple of things about that. I okay. like when movies, um, there are some movies that get held like that and they come out and it's like, Oh, this is actually a good movie. You just didn't understand what you had. Yeah. I still recommend that people see knock around guys, which is a movie that like, Oh yeah. Got essentially gotten made fun of for being held back or for sitting on the shelf for three years or whatever, but it's actually a pretty decent movie. Yeah. Um, that everybody gets a trophy thing. Like, is there an age for which that's true? Cause that was not true when I was a kid. It, uh, we did not all get trophies. No, that is not true for me. It does seem to be uh, millennials. That does seem to be what people say. Are we millennials? Yeah. I don't. I, I feel like millennials are like five years younger than us. No, I think we're millennials. I don't know. It's hard to. Know. I, I, I. I. After Generation X, I stopped knowing what. What is what? I don't know what's what anymore, David. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, the, I, don't know. I think I'm a millennial. I started to like, I took a quiz on Buzzfeed. It said I was pretty millennial. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, and then, <laughs> and then at the end of the quiz, it gave you a trophy for, uh, for finishing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what if it was just like one question? Are you currently taking a quiz on Buzzfeed? Yes, you're a millennial. Um, um, but yeah, anyway. I mean, I talked about this when we, uh, several months ago when we had Brandy on and I actually talked about like, it wasn't an everybody gets a trophy situation, but when I was a kid, there was a moment when we were all auditioning and they, they made it, they said it during, before the auditions that like, go ahead and audition, but we're going to be picking at random. Cause it was very clear in retrospect, like, oh, they didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but they still obviously picked based on merit. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean to toot my own horn, but it's because I saw the other people auditioning for the part that I auditioned for. Uh-huh. I'm the only one that did anything with it. And lo and behold, there I am getting the part. <laughs> um, and I remember just thinking like, even at the time being like, Oh, they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But then also feeling, well, so wait, did I earn this or not? I don't know. And if I had earned it, then great. But I wasn't allowed to, uh, I wasn't allowed that level of pride because yeah. they were, I don't know. You get me started on this topic and I'm going to end up sounding like Adam Carolla. Cause I, I do get an- annoyed by, Oh, the concept of everybody and the idea yeah. of like or not keeping score. The thing you're talking about, it's like, yeah, it's not, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Yeah. It's life. It all, it sucks. Most of it sucks. See, David, you are not a millennial. See, when you start, <laughs> like, when you start talking like that, um, because here's the thing. Okay. Uh, I haven't said this on the show. It's, it's weird to say it on, uh, on the movie journal. 
Okay. I mentioned on more than one lesson, okay. but I, that's a much smaller audience. Okay. Um, I don't know what this is. So I'm going, I'm going to be going back to school. Oh, I know. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I know, you know, <laughs> you, seem, you seem like such a little kid eager for approval. Oh, I know that. Yeah, I, I knew that when I walked in the door. Um, I've known that for weeks, listeners. <laughs> so I come in a mile you know, go to hell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm going back to school. I'm, uh, I'm going, I was accepted to uh, UCLA to get my master's uh, in film, which I'm very excited about. Um, thank you. Um, I can't wait to spend my Saturdays watching Bruins football my old pal Tyler. Absolutely. No question about it. Bruins, you say? <laughs> um, there is... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I'm very excited. My first class starts in June, uh, and then I will be going. I, I'm I'm going part time. I'll say that because um, I cannot afford to quit my job outright or anything like that. Um, so, what could take a year is going to probably take about a year and a half, maybe even two years for me. Okay. Um, so I, I don't intend on it having much impact on this podcast or more than one lesson. I'm sorry to say, worth playing for might go away because <laughs> um, okay. you got to cut something. But it might have a. An impact on the content. I have no doubt that it will. Yeah. Um, and one thing, and I will say this, uh, the reason that I brought it up here is because, uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to college campuses lately. Uh, they're a bit, uh, rowdy from a political standpoint. Oh, okay. Um, and I, f- I went to a, like a visitation day uh-huh. last week with a lot of other people that were accepted the master's program. I'm a solid eight years older than most of them and 10 years older than a number of them. Um, so I was the old man in the room and I get the feeling based on what other people have told me about UCLA and just California colleges right now that, uh, I should probably keep my mouth shut. Not, not from a persecution (laughs) standpoint, but because I just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a comment section and I probably should not contribute to that. Yeah. Um, that's why I didn't like, did you watch, uh, at Berkeley that four hour I did not. documentary? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Uh, Wiseman, right? Yeah. And that's, uh, I think that's why I didn't like it. Cause I was like, these people are full of shit. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, these teachers are just ex ex hippies who are now part of the establishment. Yeah. And they're all full of shit too. Yeah. Everybody in this movie is full of shit. Why am I watching it for four hours? My favorite guy is the guy who like, uh, the, the gardener <laughs> the <laughs> guy in the movie. He's the only guy actually doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. And you know, all, all apologies to any millennials. There's nothing inherently wrong with millennials or anything like and again, that. We are um, millennials, I think. Sure. Why not? Um, but you know what, David, I think I feel like you and I have the heart of the greatest generation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so all that is to say, <laughs> um, but all that is to say that, yeah, that idea of like everybody gets a trophy, like, when I think about that and how much that frustrates me and the idea of like, Oh, we're not going to keep score in the various sports and stuff like that. I hear about that. And I feel like fucking rush Limbaugh in that moment because <laughs> it's like, Oh, I don't like the way I don't like the way that sounds, but I also don't like my reaction to it. I feel reactionary. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know what to do. Yeah, uh, I feel awful. like, I feel like the thing to do is go to school, um, sit, watch the lecture, come home. Like, I don't think I'm going to talk to anybody yeah. because I feel like I can't relate to anybody. And even walking off. across campus, you got to have your tweaked audio earbuds in at all no, times. Oh, no question all about times. it. No question about it. All right, let's, move, let's get back. I will say the, this, that in, oh. uh, sorry for the, vi- th- this is something I found fun. Uh, during the visitation day, 
you you actually go through and, and you meet a number of the professors and they give like a little 20 minute presentation on like the, the research they've been doing books they've written stuff like that they're actually trying to sell the sell you on going to the school I was already going to go. Apparently, a lot of the other people there, this was one of their choices. And so they're trying to say like, oh, no, you should come here because look at what our faculty is doing. Anyway, so over the course of one day and eight teachers, uh, there were three separate uh, uh, incidents of uh, bashing George W. Bush. And just like, (laughs) it's 2016, man. Like, come on. We do have better targets now. Yeah. Um, Or more timely targets. Sure. He still deserves it, I think. I guess but, so, but um, at the same time, like you know, uh, this is not uh, this is not get a job times. You know, yeah, we uh, now, man. There have been two um, election cycles since then. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on. Oh, real quick, I want to mention Life Animated. You asked when it comes out. Um, so it's playing at Tribeca, the Tribeca Film Festival, okay. uh, essentially now. Um, which I'm guessing is why they screened it for press so early on this coast, because it doesn't actually have a theatrical release until July. July 8th in New York and and Los Angeles, and then rolling out across the country across July and August. Sounds marvelous. Uh, Yeah, so check that out. Uh, But no, my next movie is, again, a movie I was very excited about, and it lived up to my expectations, even though it did not live up to expectations for a lot of critics, apparently. Um, I'm talking about the boss, mm. the numerous McCarthy vehicle. Uh, and it's, if you like Melissa McCarthy, which everyone does, um, she's what, like, uh, probably about the, is she the biggest comedy star on the planet right now? Would you say? Hmm. You know what? Maybe. And yeah. that's great. Actually. Yeah. It's like her and Kevin Hart are like the two yeah. biggest names in comedy right now. Even um, though he's actually quite small. He's not, yeah, he's not very big. Um, if you like Melissa McCarthy, there's no reason not to like this. That's kind of what I figured. It it's a um, a character she's done since her Groundlings days, apparently, uh, and they find a lot of great situations. And what's more, the the story is almost never. There are some exceptions. The story that is the backbone of you know, or not even the backbone, the 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 basket that all the comedy goes in to carry it to you. <laughs> Um, is for the most part not stupid enough to be distracting from the the story. It's I mean it's pretty predictable. It's pretty rote, but um, it that's not why we were, that's not why we're there, right? Yeah, it's it's confident enough um, that it 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 it, it doesn't uh, crumble under the weight of of Melissa McCarthy's uh, personality and jokes. Um, there are a couple things. I don't like um, something that happens in a lot of uh, comedies, like uh, old school is a movie that, that has this, where mm-hmm. it's funny for about, really funny for about an hour, and then in the third act they realize, oh, we got to pay attention to this actual story and character beats, and, and, and so yeah. it becomes thinner on jokes in the last half hour. Yeah. Um, this doesn't completely give up the jokes, but it does have a little bit of that. Um, it also has something that I hate in any kind of movie, the super contrived uh, conflict um, where two people are in some sort of relationship, either a romantic relationship or in this case a business uh, relationship, and they misunderstand something the other person did. And instead of trusting the fact that I know uh, this person and asking about it and asking for clarification, they blow everything up or turn around yeah. and, and, and uh, it becomes 
the conflict of the last act of the yeah. movie when all all it needs is a conversation. I remember uh, I'm going to quote a uh, friend of the show, Jimmy Pardo, because it's one of my favorite things, because he talks about that all the time, like uh-huh. in comedies and romances and stuff like that. He said, like, he goes, he said, I have a hard time really getting engaged, like really engaging with a conflict that could be solved with a post-it note, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's exactly what what happens here. But that's uh, still, it's not, it's not the point. It's, this is mostly about Melissa McCarthy. Uh, there's a, Kristen Bell is good. Um, Peter Dinklage is weird in a way that I think is good. Um, I'm, I always like Tyler Labine. Um, yeah. And, um, uh, what's the guy from Veep? Uh, is it Timothy Stevens? It's something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. 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 That sounds right to me. Yeah. Uh, he, he's really good. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of bit players uh, here and there that are, that are very funny. And so, yeah, I would definitely recommend, uh, the boss for a good night out at the movies. All right. Uh, so I saw Oliver directed by Carol Reed uh-huh. and I did, uh, uh, an actually a fairly long mini. Uh, about it for more than one lesson that wound up being like 50 minutes, 55 minutes. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and I mostly did not care for it, but then I tend not to like musicals very much. Um, there's a lot of elements to it that I do enjoy. Um, I didn't find a lot of the music that memorable, uh, with the exception of, you know, consider yourself at home and, and, uh, pick a pocket or two or something like that. But, uh, but that might be because I like the character of Fagan and I like the character of, of Dodger. Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and I like Carol Reed. I feel like he, he directs this in a way that, uh, it's, it's not overly stagey. I feel like it, it, it brings you into the performance. It brings you into this world, but for the most part, I just didn't, uh, really respond to it that much. Yeah. Uh, I listened to your episode and um, it made me want to watch the movie again because uh, for a lot of reasons, um, but uh, you particularly disliked the who will buy yes. uh, number and I want to watch it because I've seen Oliver done by, you know, community theater and I've seen mm-hmm. uh, it done in this movie. I've never seen a professional theatrical production, but I've seen interpretations of that song that are, actually quite good mm. that get that it's a um melancholy and almost uh bitter song this is not but that's that. not the way it is no. in the movie um but that's how it is in my memory weirdly hmm. anyway i'll crib another line from jimmy pardo that sequence might still be going on because <laughs> uh, that thing is forever all right um okay uh, moving on moving on i saw another documentary um that is more about the look and sound of the documentary than it is about the content. Uh, it's called the music of strangers. Excuse me. It's directed by, uh, Morgan Neville, who's one of the directors of, uh, best, uh, best of yeah. enemies. Yeah. Um, and this is about, uh, Yo-Yo Ma is, uh, a part of, and kind of co runs a thing called the Silk Road ensemble where he has essentially virtuosic, virtuosic musicians like himself from a bunch of different cultures. There's a hmm. Syrian and an Iranian and a Spanish woman. And, uh, there's just people from all over the place who play all different instruments, like from their, um, home countries and they come together and they, um, do, they record albums and they tour and they do charity work and all kinds of stuff. And so it's just about them. Um, it's pretty thin, it's thin soup. Uh, as the saying goes, yeah. um, in terms of content, uh, but they're doing a good thing. Yo-Yo Ma is, I've never seen any interviews with him before. He's a delightful character. He's very funny. Hmm. Like the opening scene actually 
is him about to be introduced to give a speech at a college, I think. And you're hearing what the guy is saying about like Yo-Yo Ma's credits, but it's just Yo-Yo Ma standing in the wings being like, like, like reacting to everything kind of like quietly to himself. Like, uh, I, like basically being super self-deprecating, oh, okay. uh, uh, and kind of funny. And then he walks out there and everyone cheers <laughs> and it's really endearing. Um, yeah, yeah. That's one thing I would take from this is I, uh, I think I'm a bigger fan of Yo-Yo Ma than I was before. Um, but mostly it's about, uh, it's beautifully shot cause it's a globe, you know, globe hopping, globe trotting, whatever, um, movie. It goes all over the, all over the world. And of course the music that these people make is, uh, fantastic. And so it's not, it's, it's only about like 90 minutes or maybe not even. Um, and there are worse ways to, to spend your time, but it does kind of, kind of feel like the thing, like, if this is on Netflix someday, someone will watch it casually mm-hmm. and that will be the right level for this movie. Okay. Fair so enough. the music of strangers, Netflix level. So my next movie is Zootopia. Do you see that one? Uh, no, I really want to. It's very good. Um, and I will, I will also say that it's gorgeous and it's, I feel like it's kind of rare for me to f- mention when an animated film is gorgeous. Uh, because for some reason there's something about, um, you know, with animation, you can do whatever you want. So I feel like animated films are routinely interesting visually, but the director, uh, Rich Moore, who did uh, Wreck-It Ralph, which I did not like that much. Um, it had its moments, but I didn't love it. Uh, he really seemed committed to creating the world of Zootopia. Um, and the city itself is divided into separate, uh, basically separate like climates, you know, um, there's a desert area, there's an Arctic area, there's a rainforest and, and then there's the city itself. And a lot of the, and and the, the adventures take our main characters through a lot of these places. And, you know, not unlike uh, the Jungle Book, when they go into the rainforest, I mean, it's misty, it's dense, and it just looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, the story itself winds up being interesting because it's it's sort of a, a whodunit. There's a procedural element mm-hmm. to it that I like. Um, I do think it has thematically, it has some stuff. It, it it has some stuff that I won't even necessarily get into because it would take way too long and. I feel like I would want you to have seen it in order okay. to discuss it. Um, but, uh, but thematically there's some stuff in there that I feel like is not merely ham fisted, but I think it's almost propagandistic. Um, that's not the way to say that, but, uh, that probably is. Okay. Um, that's probably how I would say, it. uh, it definitely has a philosophy that I think is, uh, flawed and, uh, I'm not, sh- uh, when you say stuff like propaganda and use a word like agenda, I feel like maybe I'm, it sounds a little bit nefarious and I'm not sure if I'd go that far, but I definitely think that there is, there is an element here specifically in regards to concepts of, uh, not merely national security, not merely foreign policy, but also just the way we relate to the outside world, uh, the way the U S relates to the outside world and our general attitudes towards mm-hmm. it. Um, it seems to be operating on a premise that I think is inherently false. Um, and then it proceeds from there. And that's called begging the question. Sure. Is that, that's the, before begging the question became just raising the question. Okay. Yeah. 
it was it referred to it was a rhetorical reference to uh starting an argument with a false premise hmm well and it's obviously i think that i i'm sure that i do not politically fall in with the makers of zootopia based at the very least on this film but also i might be reading something into it but i do not think i am i feel like the stencil works very very well uh and if they're saying what i think they're saying then i don't agree and they wind up actually um in order to make the points that they're making they actually wind up compromising aspects of the two main characters uh to the point where it's like oh they're they're making these characters bend over backwards to convince me of something and that is where uh i have a problem so okay, moving on. But it's 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 still very funny and a lot of fun. Okay, um, I saw. Excuse me. Earlier this week, we're already we're close to the end here. Earlier this week, um, I saw. We're not close to the end. Um, I saw another music documentary called uh, Los Punks. Uh, the subtitle: We Are All We Have, but it's pretty much just called Los Punks, and it is a um, uh, very current uh, contemporary look at the Los Angeles punk scene, but more specifically the punk scene that takes place outside of traditional venues where people just, uh, throw shows in their backyard and charge people to get in. Uh, and, um, where almost everyone, both bands and audience and also promoters, and everyone else is Latino. So it's essentially, it's essentially these kids so people in their late teens and early 20s, yeah, late teens and early twenties, um, and their their life is the punk scene in, uh, in in neighborhoods like Boyle Heights and in East Los Angeles and uh, uh, places uh, around there, and it's fantastic. It definitely um, has it's a spiritual cousin to the original decline of Western civilization uh, in a lot of ways, um, but it's. It's you know I described that last music documentary as being thin soup, and this, on the surface, might come across as that. It's like well, it's just interviews and performance footage, and interviews mm-hmm. and performance footage. But the way it builds to give you a sense of the community, I think it's the kind of movie you don't have to be interested in punk rock, yeah, to be interested in this in in this movie. Um, you're seeing how um, kids um, from in some, in most of these cases from poor areas. Um, so they, 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 you know, they have those struggles to begin with, but these are also kids who are outcasts in ways like in some ways from their families, you know, because their families are, um, uh, just have different outlooks on life or, or their families aren't around. Uh, and it does, it does tap into, even though I, being a um, middle class white kid from midwestern suburbs, suburbs had a different, diff- very different experience. It did tap into the things that I loved about punk rock and still do yeah. love about punk rock, um, and the way that um, families can, uh, you know, uh, de facto families can can form among like minded people and mm. and friends. It's uh, it's really terrific. Um, I think. As of the time you're hearing this, I think it is available to 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 rent on iTunes. Uh, I think they said, okay. um, and it's also playing in uh, Chicago this this week or next week too. But uh, it's called Los Punks. 
uh, I really liked it. Okay. So I saw, uh, this is an odd choice for me, but I, I'd been curious about it for a number of years. Uh, I had no expectation of it being good, and in fact, it's not that good. Uh, it's a documentary called Hating Breitbart, and it is about Andrew Breitbart. All right. Um, I'm going to leave the room. Well, here's the, <laughs> here's the thing. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily like Andrew Breitbart. Uh, I thought a lot of his tone and rhetoric was something that was ultimately damaging. Um, but I had heard about this documentary. I saw that it was not on Netflix, and I was like, this might be a good uh, while I'm working kind of thing because I am curious. The film is obviously sympathetic towards him. Um, and I myself, over the course of the film, there is a quality to him where it's just like, it's like, yeah, he is. Sorry. Uh, he is pretty charismatic. Like there's a reason that he was able to get people to kind of go along with him and sort of not necessarily fall in line with him, but, uh, sorry, I'm getting distracted by somebody's very loud phone ringing. Um, where's that coming from? I don't know from, uh, the next room, I guess. I don't know. I can't, uh, can't quite okay. figure it out. But anyway, um, yeah, so the film is, uh, it's it's sympathetic with him, and by the end of it, I have a better idea of who he was, and there are things that I didn't agree with him about, but this is going to sound weird, he, in, he starts out as being a very bold person, and that's a thing that I can respect, but then the boldness turned into something else, mm-hmm. into something that I'm not on board with. But there is a, there is definitely um, this feeling of, especially, and I think, and the film was made in 2012. You know, right? I mean, it was made before his death, and then mm. before it was finished, he died, and um, and so a lot of the things that he fought against um, have actually become even worse. And one of the big things that he says is that like, there are things that resonate with me because there are people that will call you very specific types of names because you do not, you know, they'll say that you don't care about the poor. You are a bigot. You are, you know, you hate women, you hate, you know, this and that. And it's just like, uh, well, hang on a minute. Um, it's just, uh, and it, obviously there's name calling on, on all sides, but I will say that this is a thing that can get leveled at conservatives and has actually gotten even worse particularly on college campuses, as it turns out, because there's no better time for me, an older conservative Christian to go back to school than in the middle of an election season. Uh, it's going to be horrible, but, um, but his, his frustration with that and just kind of the, the narrative that goes with it that like, Oh, well, obviously we all know Republicans are racist. We all know they're homophobic. We all know they don't like women. We all know they hate the poor. We just know it. And he, and he basically says, uh, yeah, fuck yourself. We don't know that. Why do you say that you know that? What is there to know? Do you actually know any of these people? And I appreciate his, again, his boldness and his, and his willingness just to say, yeah, I'm going to challenge you on that. And it's a thing that uh, I feel like I would like to do more of. But part of me is like, well, I don't want to turn into him, so maybe <laughs> I won't. Uh, so the film is not very good, and it's obviously more of a piece of propaganda than anything else. But it does give you a look at somebody that... It gave me a look at somebody that I previously did not really care for, and I still don't care for, but at least I have a better idea of who he was. That's good. So it's not a movie I recommend. Uh, <laughs> no. um, well, you know who I have a better idea of? Who's now? that? 
uh, Charlie Chaplin. Because um, what I have not been talking about, I've been skipping over a lot of movies in my movie diary. Oh, right, yes. Because I watched a uh, two Blu-ray, um, six-hour uh, set of um, Charlie Chaplin's shorts for SNA Studios from 1915. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, uh, this is from Flickr Alley, and it's definitely worth purchasing. I will be writing a review. Um, sorry, Flickr Alley, that it took me so long to get through it. Um, but uh, <clears throat> it's really amazing because it's 1915. It's right. It's the beginning of his career, um, yeah. uh, essentially of his career as a director <clears throat> and a lot of his um, career as a performer as well. I mean, he'd done performing before that. But um, I kept forgetting while watching because I watched these chronologically. I kept forgetting that they were all made the same year. <laughs> Because there's so many of them that, like, even even being short, these are still like close to half an hour long. Most uh, one of them's over half an hour. Um, it's just amazing the amount of output that he made so many movies yeah. in a year. But I also kept forgetting that they were so close together because when you watch them chronologically, you can see him as a director um, learning film language mm-hmm. and uh, trying trying more things. And the you know the the early shorts are just pointing a camera, you know, at a, uh, a wide shot and he and the other people in the scene would do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And then it would cut to another angle that like now as we, as film students know, like that's not the angle you should have cut there. Cause it's like, it's confusing where sometimes it looks like someone's coming out the door from the wrong <laughs> side that they were because of the angle, uh, chosen. Um, and then as it goes on, he's using, He's learning to use uh, the the depth of the of the frame and and using you know there's the I I think at this point iconic shots of Charlie Chaplin as the tramp walking away at the end of a like it's in a lot of the movies yeah. and you see him sort of uh, figure out how to how to use that he does a trick of um, him walking toward the camera at one point where he starts out of focus and leaves the focus mm. and it's it's uh, I mean it's the kind of thing that uh, you know a six year old could do now, but, uh, it, it, it wasn't, he, you can tell he's learning how to do it and he's, um, learning how to play around with title cards, uh, more as it goes on. And it's just really fast. Like a lot of these are really good. Um, I think the one called the bank is the best. Um, cause I'll just tell you what happens in it. He and another guy are janitors at a bank and, um, he's got a crush on one of the, uh, office workers. Um, and she has a crush on one of the tellers or cashiers mm-hmm. whose name is Charles. Okay. And so he finds a gift that she's bought for him, thinks it's for himself and thinks, Oh, you know, she loves me too. And he like buys a gift for her and then realizes the folly of his ways. And then he goes downstairs and, uh, sits down and then robbers come in to rob the bank. Right. And this guy, this Charles, acts like a real coward, yeah. whereas he stands up to the robbers. And then, of course, the girl now loves Charlie, except, no, suddenly he wakes up and you realize, oh, he fell asleep when he went to sit down. Uh-huh. And this never happened. And she <laughs> leaves with the cashier. It's That's like the most depressing ending. <laughs> That's very sad. <laughs> I loved it so much because of that. It's like the last uh, laugh, but then like, yeah, no, that's not how it's going to work. Did you ever see the last laugh? Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've seen the last laugh because we did, we did a whole episode on Murnau. That's right. Um, uh, 
yeah, there's there's some really really great stuff uh, in this in this set. It's definitely worth picking up if you like uh, old silent comedies, which I know you do. I do. Um, but you hate Charlie Chaplin. I don't hate Charlie no, Chaplin. You, you got to pick one. It's either Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin. You love one, you hate the other. You know That's what? the way being a cinephile works. But here's pick here's a team. here's what makes me the best. I go Lloyd. I will, uh, I will uh, slip that, and I will do my own thing. Okay, so you hate Buster Keaton, and you hate Charlie Chaplin. Keaton's the best of the bunch, obviously. But, <laughs> uh, but I, think I, I think Lloyd's, the character of Harold, uh, resonates more with me. Um, All right, okay. what's next for you? Next for me is 10 Cloverfield Lane, so back to you. Oh, fantastic. This is my last one. You, if I've been keeping track, you should have two more? Right. All right, good. Um, just last night, I saw the new Ben Wheatley film, High Rise. Okay. Um, uh, I, I, have you seen any of Ben Wheatley's films? Down Terrace, Kill List. I saw Kill List. Um, I have not seen. The only thing I've seen is the short he did for the first ABCs of Death. Mm-hmm. But I know him by reputation. You would enjoy Kill List quite a bit, I think. Okay, uh, I enjoyed High Rise quite a bit, even though it is um, thoroughly misanthropic. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it is. Uh, it's apparently, it's based on a 1975 novel. Um, one of the many, many novels that everyone claims oh everyone said this was unfilmable until someone comes along and makes a movie and it's like yeah. hey, guess what you could do a lot of shit with movies <laughs> no no novel is unfilmable people can do whatever they want stop saying that novels are unfilmable or stop saying that it's a uh, a big accomplishment to have made a movie of a novel right sure it's, just get over it they make you make movies based on books sometimes it doesn't matter <laughs> what the book is there's no like formula for a book to become a movie. Any book, any novel can become a movie. You know, and people never say the opposite. They never say like, oh, they're never going to be able to do a novelization of this. <laughs> but that's that. Yeah. That might, no, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say it goes both ways. There, there are no movies that you couldn't novelize. You could novelize Derek Jarman's blue. You could do that. Sure. Which is just a uh, 90 minutes of a blue screen and voices. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, you can make a novel out of that. All right. Anyway, I've gotten all, I've gotten far off track. Um, High Rise. Uh, the premise is it takes place in the 1970s, but in a an alternate 1970s. Mm-hmm. It takes place when the book was written. Um, it's sort of like uh, what Zack Snyder did when he made Watchmen. Uh, he said it in an alternate 1980s, um, where Tom Hiddleston plays a character who moves into this state of the art high rise building. Mm-hmm. That has um, everything you could want is located in the in the building. It's um, it has grocery stores and gyms and pools and everything. There's um, Cena Miller's character even says that there's a brothel somewhere in the building, and it's not clear if that's a joke or not. There mm-hmm. very well might be, um, but it's also um, the premise is uh, that the um, that it is open to all uh to all classes and okay. the first like 10 or 12 floors are cheaper you know lower income and then it, um it uh you know it it goes up as it goes up sure um and as you can probably imagine this is a movie uh it's an allegory this does not work out well <laughs> right yes <laughs> throwing all of these people together um uh things very very fairly quickly i guess um completely fall apart in 
ways that are insane um, and sometimes intense and hard to take and sometimes very darkly funny. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to give too much of it away. It's beautiful to, to look at in terms of um, the cinematography is by uh, Laurie Rose, who I think shot uh, Kill List as well. Mm-hmm. But it also is um, production designed to within an inch of its life. Um, this is mid-70s, and this is a building that is supposed to have been just built in the mid-70s. So everything is... Um, you know, the, the, uh, browns and grays and, uh, you know, hard angles. But then as you go upstairs, it's shag carpeting and like there's a sunken living room type of thing. Like every, it's so it, everything looks like it could have come out of a different, uh, different page of a catalog from the 1970s. Um, and, uh, it uh, it has a great cast. I mentioned Tom Hiddleston. I mentioned Sienna Miller. Um, Luke Evans is in it. Elizabeth Moss and Jeremy Irons plays nice. the um, the person who lives in the penthouse and who designed this. Uh, the he's the Ed Harris of this snow pier- of this vertical snowpiercer. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I thought of him as the architect from the Matrix, but that's because they repeatedly referred to him as the architect ah, in High Rise because that's literally what he is. Um, and I also because I never saw Snowpiercer. Um, I think you'd like it. Uh, I'm sure I would. Uh, I like that guy's movies. Uh, but yeah, I guess uh, High Rise, I I feel like it's um, like a lot of Ben Wheatley's movies that I haven't seen, but the, they seem to um, uh, speak to a cult audience. And I think that's what High Rise is aimed for. I think the average moviegoer would find it um, unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it has, um, it's, it's a uh, stylist. It's very stylish. It's uh, weird and dark enough and it's funny enough in a dark way that it's definitely going to be a kind of movie that has longevity that it's going yeah. to find. There's going to be people for years who were <laughs> watching this movie and, and finding something to speak to just like apparently they have with this novel since 1975. Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm a dummy. And I don't read books um, anymore. So I didn't know about the novel, but uh, now I kind of want to read it. I'm excited for the career of uh, Ben Wheatley. Like he already has movies under his belt, but just like as he's gaining, you know, he's got a better cast now. Not yeah. better, but he has a bigger name cast. And, and clearly a big budget yeah. to, to make, you know, there's a, yeah, there's a, a lot went into building the sets here and there's some, some effects uh, as well. Uh, yeah. Seek I, out I, Kill List. That's for you and the listeners. It's, okay. it's really something special. But I, I'm going to say if you're, um, if you are listening to the, if you're the type of person who's listening to this podcast, you will probably find high rise worthwhile. Okay. All right. So I'm doing my last two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw Louis Leterrier's, uh, the brothers Grimsby. I did not realize he directed that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I knew it. I mean, obviously, you know, it says it, uh, in the opening credits, but then the movie happens like, Oh yeah, there it is. Okay. I can see it. Uh, you wouldn't immediately expect it, uh, in this, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen comedy. Yeah. Uh, the film is only so, so the action is good, but the action is actually so breathtaking that it actually kind of sucks the air out of the room, which is not great for comedy. Um, but, uh, but there are sequences in the film. I mean, that are absolutely disgusting uh, like real gross out humor stuff. Okay. I mean, the people that I, that were in the theater with me were just like, we were all, you know, 
like I was saying before, I don't remember what I was saying this with, uh, like we were all banded together. Yeah. You said it about the last shot of, uh, the last scene of the lobster. Yeah. And so we're all banded together. Like, I can't believe we're doing this, except we're seeing everything. And it's so disgusting. And, and you're just laughing because you can't believe the audacity of, of this film. Uh, and then I think, uh, there is one sequence in the film that I think is a special kind of brilliant, um, where Sasha Baron Cohen's character, who's just kind of this dumb soccer hooligan, who's, you know, very low class and all that. And his brother played by Mark strong, who actually gets, uh, gets the good sport award, uh, for this film. Um, so his brother's a big secret agent and, and is highly capable. And so the two of them get thrown into this, uh, this spy adventure together. And there comes a moment when uh, Sasha Baron Cohen has to fight uh, an enemy who's shown himself to be quite deadly. And, and so they wind up, so the, the, the other guy puts his gun down and so they're going to like go fist to fist. And, um, and Sasha Baron Cohen winds up getting his gun and then shoots the guy and then this music, and then the the look on his face, it's not that he feels exhilarated. There comes this moment where he's like, that was so easy. And then the, the, the music from the great escape kicks in like this very pleasant <laughs> tune. And he's just like walking along, just kind of mystified. And then like guys run up and he just shoots them in the face and just keeps walking along. Like guns make everything <laughs> so easy. And it is a wonderful little sequence. All right, so my last film is a film that's on uh, Netflix. That's where I saw it. I had heard about it. It's a it's a kind of a low budget film. Three filmmakers: uh, Francois Simard, Anouk Whistel, and uh, uh, Johan Carl Whistel. Those are the three directors. The film is called Turbo Kid. Oh, have yes. you seen it? No, uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it. I had a ticket for it. Oh, okay. But there was yeah. a problem. Yeah, it, something else came up. I was supposed to see it at uh, Next Fest last, okay. uh, last August. Uh, I enjoyed it tremendously. Um, it is, I recognize what it's trying to do, and for the most part it does do it well, where it is supposed to be a throwback to, to a number of different genres of the 80s, you know, hyper violent, you know, sci-fi, um, a certain type of Mad Max dystopian future mixed with like a BMX movie, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like rad, like rad. Uh, and so it's, it's often the, the mixture of these is often very funny. Um, I do think it starts to lose the thread a little bit. Um, I think by, by having the language that it has and, and having the level of violence that it has, I don't know. I, I honestly feel, you know, language doesn't bother me, but if it's, if it feels like it's out of place, it will take me out of the film. And so I think the language in, uh, hmm. in turbo kid does take me out of it a little bit, but for the most part, it is such a well-conceived film. The violence is so much fun and goofy and the overall story is so much fun. Um, and everybody is just enjoying themselves. And I feel like if you grew up watching eighties movies, uh, of, of really any kind, I think you will enjoy it quite a bit. So it's available on Netflix. It's not an amazing film, but it's definitely worth a watch. Um, turbo kid, Check it out. That's my last film. 
All right. Well, let's move on to television. I think right. you're, you definitely have more to talk about than I do. Because as, I, as I've said, I don't really watch TV anymore. Yeah, you should tell Paul that. Because uh, you do host a television podcast. For now. For now. Oh, watch out. <laughs> Trouble in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine anything with Paul Goebel being described as paradise? Um, so, okay. Uh, all right. So I watched, like so many others, I watched Daredevil Season 2. All of it. Um, and man, this show is working. I mean, it is really, they're really doing good stuff. I've never found the character of Electra interesting and they managed to make her interesting. Um, I do not care for John Bernthal as an actor and they managed to do good things with him. Uh, and I, I, I don't think I knew that you had this thing against, uh, John Bernthal. He was sort of, apparently John's, I don't care for J O N, uh, because he sort of, my reason for disliking him was not unlike my reason for disliking John Voight. Hmm. Um, I, I always thought he was, uh, an overactor. A lot of people loved him on the walking dead. I most certainly did not. I did not like him in fury. I think he worked pretty well for the wolf of wall street, but that's because the movie around him, uh, works, uh, on that level. And I just, I always found him a very unpleasant person to watch. Um, but he does seem to, this is not necessarily the Punisher that I have in mind. I've yet to see the Punisher that I know from the comics. I've yet to see one yet to see him truly represented on film or in television. Um, I don't think explain me by that because I, there's, I kind of, I kind of agree. I can't, there's an intangible quality. Like obviously the Dolph Lundgren one doesn't quite do it for me. The Thomas Jane character doesn't seem hard edged enough. Ray Stevenson seems too stone faced and there's no nobility to him. I feel like there needs to be a tragic samurai quality to uh, Frank castle. And with this, we have a little bit of that, but he almost seems a little bit too small time, but maybe that's the way it's supposed to be because over the course of the season, Punisher does evolve into Mm -hmm. more of what we know him to be. Um, but yeah, but none of them really jump out at me as that is who, that is the Punisher right there. And I can't figure out why. Now, you say you kind of agree. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I mean, I feel like um, the closest movie I've ever come to seeing the Punisher I want is um, Jack Earl Haley as Rorschach in, sure. in Watchmen. Sure. Um, yeah, it was tragic and uh, brutal, um, but like you said, principled. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I do think that has a, a bit of it. Because I feel like I feel like the Tom Jane one. It's not nothing against him, but I feel like he's a little bit too soft. I think Ray Stevenson is way too hard edged. Because when it comes right down to it, this guy is a guy. He was a guy who did love his family, and yes, mm-hmm. he's he's hard bitten now. But underneath is a deep core of tragedy and sadness and loneliness and all of these things. And I feel like no film has ever gotten it completely right. They're doing okay with this character, but the way they, they portray him in daredevil, I mean, he might as well be whatever the character's name is from death wish. I mean, he's just another one of these vigilante Mm -hmm. characters and maybe they will give him his own series, which it looks like they looks like they're working towards. And if they give him his own series now, he's embracing some of the iconography we know more about and he has a better arsenal. So maybe this was simply a prelude to the one we do know, but, uh, it's still effective and it still works, but it still 
doesn't feel like the Punisher that I know, um, which is strange. It's a strange thing to, to think. But they also developed the character of Daredevil. Um, Daredevil has always been, you know, he's the man without fear. He's always been very noble. But in this, they make him uh, a guy who can't quite get his priorities straight and a guy who is, keeps secrets from his friends and a guy who's kind of an asshole sometimes. And I like that. So, and visually, uh, you know, it's so interesting, uh, though I do like the Marvel films, there is definitely a, a certain homogeny, uh, to the way they look and they're, they're never that mm-hmm. remarkably interesting. Whereas Jessica Jones, which I also finished watching and I thought it was fine, but Jessica Jones and daredevil, like the visual quality of them is so much more dynamic than, than the films. Hmm. Um, and so yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if you're interested, but it's definitely worth watching. I okay. think the f- first season works better for me, partially because there's a unifying quality to the villain, whereas season three, there's a lot of different threats. Um, season two. Season two, pardon me. There's a lot of different threats. But uh, but yeah, together they work really well. I really like the way the Daredevil universe is working out. All right. So what's next next for me is survivor which you can go and listen to worth playing for and hear me talk about it but this is this is consistently a great season i mean it can still go off the rails obviously but so far we are several episodes in and there has not been a bad episode in the bunch um it's a great cast they're all working very well together there are villains there are heroes there are shifting alliances there's fun challenges uh it's a really really great season and i highly recommend it if you either if you have never watched it or you used to and you fell away this would be a good season to i think come back in on so there's survivor all right um i watched i'm mainline to catch up on uh but by, by the end um american crime story the people versus oj simpson we've heard great things holy about holy cow yeah it is so good yeah yeah it's it's unbelievable how consistently uh, powerful and serious it is for a show that mostly got its initial attention from what looked like goofy stunt casting yeah. in a lot of ways. It looked like it was going to be so pulpy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's super serious. And I think um, it um, basically made the right decision in focusing, making the protagonists not OJ Simpson, mm-hmm. but uh, the the attorneys on both sides. The, that's, yeah. Those are the those are the main characters: Marshall Clark and Chris Gar- Chris Darden on the prosecution, and um, uh, Robert Shapiro, Johnny Cochran, and Rob Kardashian um, on on the on the defense side. And I think it's. It's fantastic character drama. Um, it's it's very well made. Um, it's a it can be very psychological about its characters. But I think what I responded to most because I like this sort of thing is that this is a this is a show that instead of being pulpy, instead of say, like showing you, even though it did some of this, like um, you know. Uh, what I essentially want to refer to is like fan service by like mm. showing the young Chloe and Courtney Kardashian. Sure. Like, um, most of what it focused on is not just the spectacle of let's relive the child of the century, but it made the decision this is going to be about race. 
and it's gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna take ten episodes, ten hours to look at race in America through so many different yeah. um, uh, uh, lenses. We can look at race and fame, and look at race and the police, and look at race and uh, intersectionality of of you know uh, women. Uh, you know, do women. Uh, um, identify as women first or as uh, black, black women or identify yeah. as women first or as black people first. Um, and uh, just every everything you can think of kind of comes back to to race. Um, uh, and it's it's really fascinating. I think um, it's it, it, it takes it I think does a good job of illustrating the idea that there that um, white people and black people live in largely different versions of America or have different yeah. perceptions of what America is, and I think it can be so edifying as a white person to see. I, I think to a lot of I said this on Hey, watch this. I think to most of white America, Johnny Cochran is Jackie Childs from Seinfeld. He's yeah. kind of a punchline. You know, um, and this show with Courtney B. Vance's amazing performance, um, the show doesn't steer away from the fact that he's theatrical and that he's a loud dresser and that he, uh, um, you know, um, seems comes across as cartoonish. But you will understand him by the end. Like you will yeah. have respect, I think, uh, for him setting out what he uh, what he did he doing what he set out to to achieve it's such an empathetic show that it is just was way more powerful than anything um, that anyone was prepared for. I think this movie, this show was a joke, I think up until it premiered. And then everyone was like, wait a second. Like uh, what, what happened here? Um, And and yeah, I, I kind of, um, I still haven't deleted it from my DVR. I have all 10 episodes of my DVR because a part of me is like, I need to think I need to watch this again. I may wind up like buying it on iTunes or something like that. Cause I have no real way of seeing it. And a friend of the show, Jason Eakin has been watching it as, it, as, as it's been going mm-hmm. on and he's been kind of updating me on it. And just the way he talks about it just sounds so fascinating. I mean, he talked about a lot of people have talked about the episode called Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Uh-huh. And he, the way he outlined it it just sounds so you know it's and it's interesting to me because he did not necessarily talk about race at all i mean obviously it's a it's a component but he talked about more in terms of the level the fact that oj simpson is famous makes this trial not merely oh a famous person committed murder oh my gosh but just the level of like what we've what we would call now is like fame whores and stuff like that Uh and that, that maybe the biggest of the bunch was lance ito and yeah although I mean, I don't want to, I don't know if it's a spoiler. The, the show does at the very end, it does the like text on screen of like what happened, uh, to each one. It's in, mm-hmm. while it does depict, you know, as, as that, um, in a way that I'm sure the real Lance Ito is not happy about. Yeah. It does go out of his way to point out that he's essentially the only major player in the entire trial who never wrote a book about it. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, it sounds great. I, I, I'm excited to watch. I've heard, Performances are great all around with Sarah Paulson and Courtney B. Vance being particular standouts. I, I, well, I think uh, some people have been hard on John Travolta because I think there are some people who just have gotten past the point of seeing John Travolta as a real actor. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's fair. I think he's he's fantastic. I think he is 
he is playing it big no. with Robert Shapiro, but I think that's that's right for the for the role. And and I heard that, and Jason said that David Schwimmer is actually doing some really good stuff with uh, Robert Kardashian. Yeah, and that just the, but, the uh, way the character is is yeah. portrayed is interesting. I'm past the point of being uh, surprised that David Schwimmer is a good actor because I yeah. knew uh, I I actually just was on the Televerse podcast mm-hmm. this week. Uh, did a, a DVD shelf uh, on Band of Brothers. Yeah. Um, and I think that was cause I was not a friends fan and I'm still mostly not a friends fan. Yeah. Uh, but that was when I went, Oh yeah. <laughs> you and I watched him. that together and we were both like, Hey, who's this? Cause he's only in like two episodes, like the, the first two episodes, I think. Um, no, I think he's only in the first episode and then he shows up again for a small part in the later episode, okay. but he's he, a huge part of the first episode. Yeah. The fact that I feel like he must be in two, right. Yeah. Uh, speaks to, and, and the fact that his character is like just kind of an asshole, but also is by the end of his little stint on there is very sympathetic yeah. because of what happens to him. I don't know if it's weird to talk in terms of spoilers, but yeah. like it's a very sad thing yeah. what happens to him. But, uh, all right, what else you got for TV? I have, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I caught up on that on Netflix. Um, how's it going? Is it still sunny? No question about it. And they have done such tremendous things with these characters over the years. They have taken bad people and really developed them to make them the worst people you've ever met. It is astonishing how these characters just in the, almost like the Simpsons, you watch the first episode of the Simpsons ever Mm-hmm. And you're just like the, some of the personalities are still there, but then over time you get to see like Homer turn into the Homer that we know, <laughs> you know, where, and with this, you also have like the writers figuring out what differentiates all these characters, but you also have the actors getting better as actors, but also understanding their characters more to the point where it's just like, this is, this is like almost, this is almost like Emmy worthy stuff. Uh, it's really great. And with a particular, I watched season 10 basically. And, uh, there was an episode in there and, uh, apparently I'm, I'm very late. I'm late to the party on this one. Other people have said this. There's an episode called Charlie work. That is some of the best comedic TV I've ever seen. Okay. And it is absolutely astounding and a real, uh, uh, tour de force by, uh, actor Charlie day. Um, and the film, uh, sorry, the, the episode owes a great deal to not merely Birdman, but also like Magnolia and, and stuff like that. It's, hmm. it's from a filmmaking standpoint, it's also very interesting, but it's, it's very, very funny. Um, so yeah. And then I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I necessarily got back into Gotham, but more than more than two people said that, uh, Hey, you, you should start watching Gotham again. They're doing good things with the Riddler. So I, I watched the last few episodes and have been enjoying it. I think by change, by shifting my view of what Gotham could be, should be, and is, um, I think it actually helps me to appreciate the show in general. Like it is pure melodrama. It's pure soap opera. It's over the top and going in knowing that it's not going to be, Batman the animated series. It's not going to be the Nolan universe or anything like that. It's going to be its own thing that is pulpy and over the top and ridiculous. Accepting it on that level. It's like, oh, okay, I actually, I can, I can actually have a fair amount of fun with this, especially because it's visually gorgeous. It has mm. always been gorgeous. Um, but what they're doing with the characters is very interesting. I do like what they're doing with the Riddler. Um, and, uh, some of the most interesting, not merely because I like the Riddler, but 
the way that they are having him do kind of the cat and mouse thing is, is very, very interesting. Um, Paul Rubin shows up as the penguin's father, which is an odd choice considering that he was the penguin's father in Batman returns. Um, but, uh, did you not know that I've had, I haven't seen Batman returns in so long. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. At the very beginning of Batman returns, when they're showing penguin is a little kid that his parents are uh, abandoned. Paul Rubens is, is Tucker Cobblepot. And so that's intentional, right? I assume so. He's, he's not a Cobblepot in this. He's like this estranged father who shows up for a couple episodes. And, uh, but yeah, I have to assume that's intentional. What else could it be? Yeah. Um, and as I was walking out of my screening of, uh, the jungle book, uh, I happened to see Paul Rubens walking out and I was just, and if he, if he, he was, he had like three people around him. Yeah, if sure. that was only one person, I probably would have come up and actually said something because it's Paul Rubens. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. someone you say something to for sure. And I would have, and one of the things I would have said is like, Hey, by the way, on top of everything else, I think he actually did a really great job on Gotham. So, uh, so it's not necessarily a show I'd recommend, but you know, it's amazing how much of a difference, uh, it can make to recognize what a show or a movie is actually trying to be as opposed to what you think it should be. Um, and that can help your enjoyment tremendously. Okay. Let's talk about the amazing race. Indeed. Well, it's too late to talk too much. Yeah. But, uh, I'm so bummed. It's spoilers for the amazing race. I'm so bummed. Cause I loved that team. I don't I, You didn't agree with me. If you haven't agreed with me from the beginning on this, team. I, I have, uh, come to like them more and I do like, I just find their relationship so adorable. So sweet. Jen has, uh, poisoned me against that woman. Uh, her, whose name I have forgotten. It's Scott. And what was her name? I don't remember. I don't remember. I'm bad at that. But, uh, but Jen was so creepy. Blair? Blair. That's right. Yeah. Cause there was, there was a, what was it? What was the, 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 the attraction? Hashtag. Oh, well, yeah. Um, yeah, we've been recording Blody. That's a, Bro- yeah, that's right. Blair and, Bro- and Brody. Um, yeah, Dave and I have been recording all night long. And so yeah, uh, names, tired. names are going to escape me, but Jen was so off of, uh, Blair because she just kept saying daddy, uh, which admittedly is off putting. Um, but by the end I didn't necessarily mind them. I'm, I wasn't, I was frustrated by how they left that like, Scott made a very simple mistake. Yeah. Went back to, went back to correct it. And that's that. That's the end. Yeah. That is crazy. I hate that stuff. Like it's so, how do you not kick yourself? And if I'm Blair, I realize cause they specifically show her picking up their backpacks to get ready for her dad. Right. To come off the stage. And so, she's trying to do something nice, but he didn't assume that she would pick up his backpack. So he just grabs the one that's closest, assuming it's his and off they go. And, uh, yeah. And so it winds up coming down to a foot race. And while I would have been sad to see Tyler and Corey go, um, it's just like, I feel so bad when somebody makes one small mistake and that costs them the entire race. Yeah. It would have been sad to see Tyler and Corey go for sure. I enjoy them. Um, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of want them to win too. Um, but this is the main thing with this, uh, with this season that I love because I'm just, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I can't even think of the words. Um, I'm just a, a ball of sunshine. Yeah. I love that. There's no teams that I hate this year. There really aren't. And I, boy, did I expect there to be, it's just like, Oh boy, a bunch of people on from YouTube. Yeah. That's exactly. going to be great. Yeah. Um, um, the only thing now we haven't done an episode in a few weeks, but we've only missed one because they took uh, a yeah. lot of time off. 
the week before, uh, the kid and his mom, again, I don't know their names. Yeah. Um, uh, Sherry and Cole, but Cole, you didn't like, uh, at the beginning. Right. Um, what kept cracking me and my wife up is that he's trying to be nice and comforting to his mom, but he clearly has no idea what to say. He's like so awkward. And he's like that in general to the point where I go, this person is it like a YouTube star? Like this person is a personality. Like he has no personality. The thing that got us is that why is his mom doing all the challenges? Like he's doing all like she's doing almost all of them. Is that true? Yeah. Huh? It's very strange. Like, you know, she was kicking herself for not doing like the, the car, the changing the oil challenge. And there's no particular reason that he should do it over her or her over him. But at the same time, like, I guess that maybe they're saving it him, you know, for maybe stronger, you know, challenges that require strength, but he's, it's been her a lot. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think maybe it's more of a, she babies him type of thing. That's entirely possible. Um, that's what I get from the relationship, but let's get back to this week's episode. Um, uh, because the, um, no, see, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting confused with last week's, um, but the, uh, the candy challenge, Mm-hmm. Um, which is the one from which the episode gets its name. Welcome, yeah. welcome to Bloody Fingers 101. Yeah. Um, that candy didn't look very good to me. Oddly enough, it looked good to me, even though I know I wouldn't like it. <laughs> you know, I don't mind hazelnuts, but it's just like, oh, here's like a, a sugar and wine sauce type thing. I was like, well, I don't, I don't care for wine. Yeah. So I probably would not enjoy that, but it actually looked quite tasty to me. But I have really enjoyed in this and last week, um, the the locals who were overseeing the challenge mm-hmm. um and their comments uh, or just reactions yeah. to the woman from two weeks the week before when they were making the lavash bread yes and she was having a blast oh yeah uh I, I loved her and then um what was the other what was the other thing this week Gosh, I don't remember. It was, it was several days ago at this point, but, yeah. uh, and, and as tends to happen with the amazing race, like I get things mixed up, you know, cause I yeah. think it was two episodes ago where they had to, they were in that theater and they had to find, uh, they had to find the clue in the theater yeah. and the janitor, no one thought to talk to the janitor. One person happened to say like almost sarcastic, like you don't have it, do you? Oh shit, you do. Yeah. And what fascinated me is that no one saw that and no yes. one heard that. I assume that once that happened, everyone's just lining That's up. That's exactly what I thought. Like, but they got their heads in the seats. There. I guess so. Um, one, one last thing that we can wrap up, um, the dance they had to do this week. Yeah. <laughs> the way that they, the very beginning of the dance mm-hmm. never stopped being funny to me. The way they just sort of trot out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> behind the line of dancers yeah. with that big fluffy wig on. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's very too funny. silly to be a real dance, but it is. And just, uh, you know, and one thing that, that I do always like about the amazing race is that everybody has some kind of skill set, and it's entirely possible that someone could be a terrible racer the rest of the, uh, the rest of the season, mm-hmm. but then something comes up and they are the best at, at all of it. You know, it's just like, Oh, uh, it's like, I'm not like what Dana, Dana is not very good at much, 
when it comes time for dancing, yeah. she nails it. She's you know? good at yelling at her partner. She's pretty good at that, which does seem to be a big part of the race, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. No, if there's, if there, I said there's no one I dislike. If there is anyone I dislike, it's her. Yeah. Because I and don't like the way she treats him. And I don't like him that much either, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't deserve this. Um, yeah. But uh, I, think, I think the team that I enjoy that I most want to win. I don't think they will win, but they're, they're a pretty good team is Bernie and Ashley. I like, I like them every year or every season, twice a year on the amazing race. There's one team that every week I'm going, wait, who is that again? Hmm, And that's kind of who Bernie and Ashley are. I I think they're just, they might be good at the race, but I don't, I, I think in terms of, personality they're not coming through for me that's odd they actually do for me quite a bit bernie particularly because his level of enthusiasm it's not obnoxious it's just like it's like uh, somebody's dad being really excited about things um and i think the two of them i i tend to like it when couples are just perpetually encouraging encouraging of each other on the race and those two I, very I much like are that. i do like that um, um i like zach and rachel more than i thought i was going to um, wait, which ones are they? They're the, he's the, the vine guy. Uh, they're newlyweds. They're young. I think oh, they just he's got the magician. First. He's not really a magician, but yeah, he's, uh, he does special effects. Yeah. 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 Okay. Final um, cut King is what he's officially called. Yeah. I, I, I like them. Um, we haven't talked about the, the bros yet. Um, I do like them. I do like, I like them. everybody. Fact, my favorite. So my, my team right now I think is Tyler and Corey, but I think as much as I thought the, father-daughter relationship between scott and blair was adorable i also think the friendship between tyler and Corey and brody and what's his name the bros yeah uh is also adorable oh yeah these like uh i mean it's based on just us you know unfair assumptions but these like big muscly bros joking around and like joshing each other with the two gay guys yeah is a fantastic relationship to me well tyler i know is a he's more than just like an online personality like he's written books he's been on tv like he, he's got a billboard on sunset boulevard oh i don't think i realized that that's why um, he's he's the only one on the show that i recognized uh, when it started and in, in all of uh it, they're all supposed to be fine stars the only one i recognized was him and it's because he has a billboard uh it's not his, it's a youtube billboard okay you've yeah, seen yeah. those is a bunch of those yeah uh for different, for different like youtube people. red or whatever that um is. yeah maybe something like that yeah um uh yeah, I think the only one I, I knew who he was, but not from anything that he had done. But I was aware of Zach King as well. But that was basically it. Um, but yeah, uh, but Tyler is just like he I could see him and Corey coming back because they're just he knows what makes for good TV and he'll play it up. But never to the point that I am annoyed uh-huh. like the the I forget what it was several episodes ago when they're doing some kind of challenge that involves like a, a loud abrupt yeah. noise and every time it happened he was like oh like <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was it was kind of adorable yeah and then he would laugh at himself and it's very yeah. infectious laugh that's yeah, true it was the one where the, it's like horseshoes but you're trying to land it on powder ca- on, right. on little balls of uh, gunpowder so yes. it explodes which yeah. all i could think is i gotta go i, I, I gotta know. find some place that does that it looks like so much fun and you know that is that is one of the many things that i like about the amazing race is that when you watch it it's such an effective travel show because mm-hmm. when you watch it every season, there's like three or four places that Jen and I say, like, we've got to go there. Yeah. You know, and I do like that they really do celebrate the place and they don't focus so much on the race itself. And I also like it when the racers themselves 